Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I was driving and they just punched me, slapped me. I was bleeding straight away. Like I needed a new toilet brush. <laughs> you open up your phone and there's an ad for a toilet brush. Yeah. <laughs> Where you've got health and safety incidents happening on these sites, absolutely people are worried. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with Pete. Don't know what the tide was like this morning, but it was very high last evening. I was driving through town about quarter to eight, just down there by the quays, and it was really high. If the weather turns as grotty as it looks like it will with this storm Babette or Barbette or whatever it's calling itself today... Uh, I don't know what it is and who Barbet ever was, but anyway, the storm will be with us, I think, with an orange rain warning. Well, if we get a tide as high as we got last night and an orange warning of rain on top of it, it could get fairly nasty, could get fairly grotty in, in flood-prone areas. I don't know what the... What was the tide like this morning? Um, don't know. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96. The number, the text or WhatsApp. 083 396 96 96. And your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Lots to do. I'll be talking later to the priest who was refused permission to officiate at his own sister's funeral because of things he said about women joining the priesthood. He was in favour. He remains in favour of women joining the priesthood but because of that because of that view he was told "Uh uh-uh you cannot say your own sister's funeral mass what a cruel thing to do also we hear and only last week talking about drugs and drug detection dogs and talking to Ray who looks after those dogs about going into workplaces and sniffing out drugs and obviously he can't tell us where he's been but he's been to workplaces of late and found things like cocaine. There's now calls for random drug testing in the workplace to deal with the surge in cocaine use. It's a number of years ago now, it's half a dozen years ago, I would say, since a retired member of the guards said that the country was awash with drugs, with cocaine, and it was never worse. And there's no improvement in that. So how would you feel about random tests in the workplace for cocaine? That and and plenty more. Looking for strange names, Joe O'Shea at Cork Bio has kind of made it a study. It's like a little hobby with Joe. We'll catch up about it later. He has this fascination with strange names. Names like Arundel and Blennerhasset and Gumbleton. I, no, I'm serious. There are Gumbletons in Cork. Is there possibly a Gumbleton listening to me right now? We'll catch up with Joe on his study. It's become a hobby with Joe, uh, studying strange names uh, that are here in Cork. Also finding out in your newspapers this morning when the electricity credits will be paid. There'll be 150 quid in December, 150 quid in January, and 150 quid in March. Depending on how your bill lands... That could either be marginally helpful 
or not helpful at all. Or it could actually be very helpful if you're one of these people that gets your bill in January, as I am, get me electricity bill, me Christmas electricity bill, as it were, in January. And last year, that was a monster of a thing. So 300 quid knocked off the top of that with two credits landing won't be half bad at all. That's about the only thing I can think I got out of the budget last week. Speaking of the budget, we return into it briefly because Tony, who is an activist with Cork Penny Dinners, was down there last week and he wants to follow on with me from what Katrina Toomey had to say about the working poor and how they are flocking to Penny Dinners at the moment. So a lot to do. Let's hope we get through it throughout the course of the morning. But first of all, we always hear how great they are in the CUH at saving your life. They probably don't get enough credit for it. How many lives do they save in any given 24 hours? We complain about them bitterly when we're delayed. We complain about them bitterly when there are waiting lists. We complain about them bitterly for 101 reasons. But maybe we don't look through it another lens often enough and think how many lives do they actually save in any given 24 hours of the day one life they saved was the life of Mark Mark Lang Mark Lang was in hospital rushed to hospital by his wife in the middle of the night last February when Something was wrong. He had no idea what was wrong, but he knew he needed to get to hospital. Mark was in Cork for the weekend on holidays from Liverpool with his wife, Julie. And his life was saved at CUH by Professor Noel Kaplis and his cardiac team. And not too many people, I'm sure, do this. Went back and said thanks. In actual fact, Mark and Julie flew back in Especially to say thanks to Professor Kaplis and his team. They join me now, both of them, from their home near Liverpool. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Mark, you weren't even supposed to be in Cork. You were supposed to be in Poland, but that got cancelled. That's where we'll start. Yeah, yeah. The... the, uh... We were supposed to be going to Krakow in Poland, but that got cancelled because uh, our friend's mum died. So I've always wanted to go to Cork, so I said to Julia, let's go to Cork for a, a, a long weekend. So, yeah, that's where that's how we ended up in ended up in Cork, like, for a weekend holiday. You just wanted to visit it. You've no connection to Cork at all, no? No connection to Cork at all, no. Uh, we was we were going going go to the Blarney Stone and Jamesons and uh, and we were going to a point to point as well on the uh, on the Sunday as well. Okay, because yeah, I like the point to points as well. And that's very popular around Cork, but you never got to that. So, no. t- tell me what happened to you. Well, we, we we'd been out on the, on a Saturday. We been we watched Ireland on uh, the Saturday afternoon in Six Nations, right? And, uh, and then we went back to hotel. We had a couple of drinks in the hotel bar, and uh, we went bed. And uh, I woke up at three o'clock. I thought I'd I got indigestion because I suffer from indigestion as well. Mm. Started feeling sick, so I took a couple of uh, paracetamols, mm. thinking that would help. I, I was all right for about twenty minutes. I thought it had passed, and uh, anyway, I walked back up 
I didn't feel well at all then, and uh, my me, me hands and my jaw, my jaw were killing me. I played I play rugby and been hit a few times in jaw-like, yeah. and, uh, but the pain in my jaw was so so intense like uh, and I said to Julie then I said we've got to have to go to hospital now because my jaw's killing me and mm. my hands my hands because that's the first sign of uh, your heart not pumping your blood around your uh, your body your hands and uh, your, your, your your jaw go so but we didn't know that we didn't, know, time, that. Did we we? didn't know that at the time like the hands are one thing, but I've never heard of pain in the jaw when your heart is... So So you piled into the car and you were so close to... Where were you staying? In the Kingsley. In Kingsley Hotel. Just over the road. Um, so it's a job we was there, like, because uh, the professor, Dr. Caplice, he thought we was in West Cork. So we got to, I got told off initially for uh, driving him because I think they thought I was aged, you know, miles away. Um, but fortunately, I mean, we, we just put it in the sat-nav and it was only five minutes away. Yeah. So within uh, a very short period of time, he was, you know, in A&E and being triaged and then they rushed him through to resource. And yeah. uh, that's when they told him that he was having a heart attack. Mm. But they were fantastic. Uh, they all rushed around as soon as that happened, the nurses, the doctors, and, um, yeah, took him through to the cath lab and, um, and did his procedure. Yeah, yeah. You were in a bad way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. So, well, they, they did uh, uh, an ECG on me straight away. As soon as they got into A&E, they took me into one of the side wards, did an ECE, and then uh, next thing they wheeling me down to cath lab. And... Very, very quick, how they sorted me out, like, yeah. Mm. So he had one stent fitted. Yeah. And, but he'd um, he'd arrested a, a couple of times, actually, on the table. Um, and we're lucky that he, they brought him back round. And, um, yeah, so he's lucky to be here. Lucky to be here. Uh, you you were in hospital then for, what, a couple of weeks, was it, Mark? Three weeks. When I went back down to, back down to the uh, ward... Uh, they said I had three, uh, two litres of liquid on my lungs as well because my heart had not been circulating, circulating. so I, I had two litres of liquid on my lungs as well. You had no idea that you had heart trouble, had you? I mean, you, you played rugby all your life, so you were, re, you were always yeah, yeah. pretty fit. Yeah, yeah, always fit, yeah, because that's what you think, isn't it? And I, I, I do quite a bit of cycling as well. So I, I, I thought I was fit as a fiddle, but yeah... But it's, it, it, what the professor said is uh, the only thing what kept me alive is that I've got a, a big, big heart. Mm -hmm. Big muscle, muscular heart, yeah. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So that, so when I, when, I, when I got back down to Warren, they said I had two litres of liquid on my lungs. They had to put more more drugs into me for to get rid of the liquid. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, just so grateful for the uh, staff and the nurses in in the ward for uh, keeping me going on them on the Sunday night and Monday because that was touch. It was touch and go for twenty four hours. Julie, you got an awful fright, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um, as I say. It, it, once he said he was having a heart attack, it was um, it was a bit surreal just standing there watching, really of. You know they, how professional they all are, and they took him through. And then uh, within 
probably about half term, Professor Caplice came out and said, um, you know, that they'd, they'd, it was okay and they'd, they would do you know what they'd done and that it was a big, um, that he was very lucky and how it'll be a, a major, you know, lifestyle change really with regards to slowing, you know, pace of life down and, you know, just making sure he stays fit and well. Yeah. So, um, but the, the, the staff there were, as I say, can't speak highly enough of them really, even when they took me through to cath lab and uh, then we went up to the CCU ward and that's where he stayed for the three weeks and, um, you know, the 24-7 care for him um, and, the, you know, they were lovely. You decided to come back and say thank you to Professor Kaplis and his team. Yes, yeah, a yeah, couple and, of weeks and, ago. And the, the ward nurses as well, just for keeping me alive, didn't know, like, so otherwise I wouldn't be here if it weren't for them. Yeah, yeah. Were they surprised to see you coming back? Yeah, it was when I walked through the door, yeah, because hmm. he said, what if you come all the way over here for give us it? Because I took him a card and some chocolates, like. Ah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. So not 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 much really, but I see you know, and um, our local um, rugby club, Ormskirt Rugby Club, I did a fundraising um, for it, and they did the donation to the the Cork uh, Hospital Charity. Yeah, it, support's been fantastic, yeah. really, That's locally great. and obviously over That's there. Yeah. Where you live, you're maybe what twenty minutes, half an hour from a hospital, so it would have been very different if you were at home. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, that's what you think now, isn't it? You know that if it happened here, um, our A and E, like I say, is you know fifteen twenty minutes away, and if something had happened, you know, on the way, um, I say you you know you you hear the stories and you think you recognise the signs, but at that point in time when it's happening, uh, you just you know think it's something else. Yeah. And um, well, it, well, yeah, something else plus. Uh... I, I ended up going down to the cat lab three times because I had blood clots. So I had to go back. That's why I had to go back to the ward again and then go on blood thinners. And then that's the, it was 24 hours after that. They said, as long as everything's okay and we can let you go home. Yeah. Um, so I came home on St. Patrick's Day as well. <laughs> yeah. You'll always have a soft spot for Cork now, Mark. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Well, yeah. I'll never forget the dates and the place and the people. <laughs> Yeah. I'll never forget the professor as well because uh, Julia reckons I had a crush on him because he was that good. <laughs> man Professional crush. man crush. <laughs> I got you, I got you, I got you. Do you know what? You're, I know you're both rugby fans. Uh, you played for years, Mark, and I think, Julia, you were involved as well in the, in the, in the club. You're going to avoid stress with, with the dicky ticker. Uh, it can't be that easy watching the World Cup. No, it's not. It's... Uh, it's well, what, every match has been so good and so close. The next couple of weeks is going to be uh, yeah. challenging to keep calm. They, they were saying one of our one of our contributors here on the program yesterday was saying that maybe England could surprise us all. Do you think, Mark? Definitely, definitely. It's, uh, it's, it's a one 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 match in it, and uh, anything can happen in one match. Ain't that the truth? You put everything on the line, and that's what everybody's doing at the minute. That's why games are so good and so close. It is. It is. It's tremendously exciting. You've got to mind yourself now. Mind that heart of yours. Julie, look after him. Bye. Okay. M- many, many more happy trips to Cork, I suspect. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, I yeah. still go for. I, when we came back last time, I didn't go because it's not point to point season. I didn't go, but uh, definitely go back for the uh, what I missed the point to point because we did Jamesons in the Blarney Storm. Right. So, yeah, we were Leopard Town, didn't we? Yeah, we, so. and we went Town, but I need to do that point to point again. Like, so. Well, there's a huge point to point community in Cork, and I'm sure you'll be welcomed with open arms. Lovely talking to you guys. Have a great day. You All too. Right, cheers Thank for you. that. Thank you. Bye bye. Cheers, lads. Look after yourself. I hope the weather's a bit better over there than it is here. That's Mark and Julie Lang uh, from their home near Liverpool, about 20 miles from Liverpool. Life of Mark's life saved by Professor Noel Kaplis and his team at CUH. And Mark came back to say thanks. I wonder how many people do that. And certainly, that's got to be the first I've ever heard of anybody flying in from the UK to come back and say thanks. Nice story, though. 0818 96 96 96. I will do this now because if I don't, I'll forget it. And I think I might have forgotten it yesterday. Happy birthday, Surroundy One. Happy birthday to Shawnee Burley. There's a Cork name or an unusual Cork name. Burley with an L E I G H. Shawnee Burley. Roundy birthday with a seven on it. A happy 70th, 70th birthday. It was yesterday. He listens every morning. He's the best uncle anyone could wish for. Just want to thank him for everything he's done for me and the kids over the years. Today's your day. Yesterday at least was, Johnny. Love you lots. From Julie. All right. Happy to do that. Roundy, we don't do many birthdays. We'll be here all morning. But roundy ones. Roundy ones are always nice to do. 0818 96 96 96. And thank you, Sean. Or is it John? John in Cove. John wants to start a GoFundMe to sort out my electricity bill. <laughs> All I was doing, John, was reading a bit out of the paper where they tell us that the 3 by 150 will be paid, in case you missed it, 3 by 150 credits on the electricity bill will be paid 1st of December... 1st of January and 1st of March. And I was saying that if you get your bill in either January or February, that'll be handy because there'll be 300 quid bitten out of it, which it's not to be sniffed at. I know there's probably more they could be doing, but it's certainly not to be sniffed at. 0818 96 96 96. Speaking of the cost of living, I'm going back to that shortly, but there's a story I spotted, and I had to have another look to see was I right, and I am. Uh, the European Central Bank, those who govern everything, lads, like interest rates, they are now looking on a ban on cash or card only. It would make it illegal for shops and other businesses not to accept cash. This is an interesting story. As you know, I've long said here for months that I have no problem with using my card. I use it all the time. I use my phone. I also want to use cash from time to time, and I like the choice wherever I go. This would cover shops, public bodies, hospitals, museums across the Euro area. I wonder would it cover airports. A lot of airports gone completely Cashless. It's a draft EU law to regulate the use of cash. The European Central Bank says the spread of card-only policy would undermine the status of the euro as legal tender. This is a new law. It was drafted in June. That'll be worth watching. So now the European Central Bank, which generally gets what it wants, 
The European Central Bank wants a law that says you have to accept cash. You have to give people choice to pay in cash. We'll follow that one. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. You want the biggest hits? Yeah, we are really hooked on this now. Oh, this song is class. Oh my God, when I just heard it down, I got into the car and just bought it right back. You got them right here. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix. On Cork's 96 FM. I want new music. I want to hear that new tune. Fresh. Fresh new music. The Hit Mix with Brian McAvoy. The Hit Mix. On your smart speaker. On your phone. And on your radio. Weeknights from 8. On Cork's 96 FM. Back to the cost of living. I see this morning, and it's related to the energy credits and all that, I see this morning a story that the grocery price inflation, this is Cantar. It's a market research firm. They're here and they're in the UK, and they specialise in researching the cost of your weekly shopping basket. And they say grocery price inflation at the start of this month is around 10.5%. Now, that's down a little bit from September, but it's still very high. And your grocery spend is rising all the time. All of the time, according to Cantar. Now, the rise this winter may not be quite so severe as the rises were next winter, but they're rising all the time. And so far, if you listen to Cantar's figures, they show no no sign of coming down. It's something that uh, reminded me of our conversation last week with Katrina Toomey uh, at Penny Dinners after the budget, when Katrina's response to the budget was kind of, well, budget, what budget? What was in that budget for the people coming to us? Uh, every day and she she was telling me on the show last Friday that down at Penny Dinners they are busier than ever People coming down you know and at their wits end they might have food for four days they might have food for five days they're running short of food for two days some people might not have food at all for the week we have a lot of demand now on our services Would you agree with me Katrina there's something wrong in the society that a person with a good job a good stable job and maybe even a second job in the house there's something very wrong in a society when they're coming to you for help There is and that is very hard for a person you know and you know that are out there working they probably bought a home and now they're struggling and the fear of losing that keeping trying to pay the bills but trying to pay the mortgage as well they're not getting a break nowhere people that are out there working you know doing a good week's work doing overtime doing everything they can and they still can't make ends meet so there is something wrong in a society with full employment you should be quiet down there instead of busy we should be very quiet we should be very quiet and it's getting worse and the numbers are growing all the time now that was just after 10 last uh, Friday a couple of days after the budget and I had a conversation with Michal Martin Tonished in studio just to finish out the show uh, for last week and I brought that up with him in the budget in the reaction to the budget I brought up with him what Katrina had said I'm not long off the phone from Katrina Toomey and, and she said to me that at a time of full employment she'd expect to be quiet in fact she's busier than ever 
full of working people going out to penny dinners. Something wrong there. Oh, well, I'd like to check that and, and I'd, I'll talk to you about her? that. No, I, well, I, I just feel that uh, we aren't, people aren't a lot of pressure. But as to the analysis as to working people, you say, because we've also given additionality in terms of um, uh, support for working family parents, particularly in, 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 the, in the dependent allowance mm. and so on. And we've increased tax um, and social welfare uh, payments for particularly families with children. Mm. So, I mean, it's interesting. it would be interesting from an analysis point of view as to who's using the centre mm. ob- ob- anonym- anonymously, you know. But, no, yeah, but she, but she's saying it's, so that, it's people so that can with, feed into policy because we do have yeah. interventions that we can make and do make. He wasn't quite dismissing her. He knows better. But he was kind of saying, okay, I'd like to see more about that. Tony Cullinan, Tony, you're an activist for Penny Dinners. You have been now for the last couple of years. And you were only down there in in the last week or so. Good morning, sir. Tell me, tell me what you saw. I saw people in suits, actually. Highly, highly respectable people collecting food parcels. I was stunned and shocked. Yeah. of what I saw. Very well-dressed individuals collecting food parcels. I couldn't believe my eyes. Mm. What time of the day was this? 12 o'clock, quarter past 12. Yeah. It, 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 there's an epidemic out there at the moment of poverty. I didn't realise how bad it was till I spoke to Katharina myself. Genuinely, I couldn't believe what, what, what I've what I seen on, 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 on that particular street. Yeah. I expected to see people down and down in the look, but I couldn't believe what I seen. Yeah, and that's putting it very mildly. You know, be honest, very mildly, very mildly. Katrina mm. would say, and has said to me, these are people who have a good job, but they've got their mortgage to pay, they've got their bills to pay, and by the time the mortgage are paid, the bills are paid, the kids are looked after, whatever. There's nothing left for lunch. Probably not, nothing left. I, 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 I think the government have totally lost way in relation to, to homelessness, to poverty, to mortgages. I, 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 I think if the government could sit back and look, or if they could visit the lakes of Penny Dinners, they'd certainly have a different approach. When I put it to Michal Martin, when he was here in studio on Friday, um, he, he looked at me uh, as if to say, what, 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 what are you saying? And I said, do you not believe Katrina? And he said he'd like to see her and talk to her and meet her and go through the figures with her. So hopefully that could happen at some point. But you would think, wouldn't you, Tony, that in a time when we have full employment and plenty work there, to be a different picture? Well, PJ, we, we do a lot of work for charity over the years in the, in, in the, in the band of payment. We do a lot of charity work. Hmm. And among the poverty and children suffering, it's frightening, but in our own city, and it's just not in the city of Cork, there's homelessness, Dublin, Limerick, Galway. It's frightening the amount of people that are living in shelters and living under bridges, so on and so forth in the yeah. country. And it shouldn't take myself or 96FM to highlight this. Look, the government are well aware of what's going on. Mm. But I, I think they turned a blind eye to an awful lot of it. Like if you put me home out and in the position of somebody, an old age pensioner, on 250 euros a week, what would it do for you in today's climate? Really, when you look at petrol at 185 a litre, 186 litre, mm. when you look at a 40 kilo bag of coal at 40 euros a bag, you know, it's. I think they're really and truly detached from reality. Mm. Cost of living has gone so far beyond so many ordinary people. Yes. Like necessities that you need if you keep warm in the winter, 
the prandilites, just stuff has gone probably beyond the reach of a lot of people. You know, and I, I, I think the government, in all that they're trying to do, I first of all, I, I think we cannot sustain the amount of refugees we've taken in. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I feel very sorry for people running from war and conflict. But I honestly believe, like, we're a very small country. And I think that the infrastructure, the doctors, the hospitals, the schools, I don't believe we can take much more. You, you run the risk when you say something like that, Tony, and these are not my words, but you run the risk of someone saying, oh, that's very racist. But it's not. I'm not a bit racist, PJ. No, I know you're not. It's not racist to question whether we can take all these people. That's my that's my question. And, like, how do we support them? The infrastructure of the state, like schools and hospitals and doctors. There's a shortage of doctors. There's a shortage of hospital beds. There's a shortage of places and schools. And yet we take in practically 100,000 people extra in, in, into the state. I wouldn't judge anybody. Nobody one way or the other. But I think that the mechanisms of the state are not good enough to support what we've taken in. Like, you bring, you bring in 100,000 extra people in any country. Mm. You, like, you, they must be supported in some way to feed themselves. They must be accommodated. They must be clothed. The children must go to school. If they get sick, they must see a doctor. Mm. These are all questions that are being asked by more and more people every week, Tony. So, yeah, it's not unusual to hear you say it. You're doing an event. You did it last year and you had a great day. And we, we, we actually sold it out and... You're doing it again this year in the Metropole in November. That's right, and the seventeenth of November, and all the proceeds and the evening will go to penny dinners again. Okay, it's a great night. It's for a great cause. It's a Cork charity that's done tremendous work on the ground in Cork. That people, I, I think people, some people don't realise the work that goes on in penny dinners. To be honest about it, mm. it's a charity that I got involved in last year, and it's very, very close to my heart. PJ, I'd love if you could come along and see how it goes on tonight. So, you know, we, we'd love to have somebody from the radio station in there just because we're going to try to make this an annual event if we can in November, especially for the foreseeable future, the next four or five years, you know what I mean? Mm. Well, give me a call off air. And I know your band and I know what you do. And apart from that, Nels, I'd enjoy hearing your tunes for a couple of hours. Of so course. let's see if we can help each other out. Tony, you had another pet project that you and I spoke about many times, and I was trying to reinstate the Cork-Dublin flight. People were telling you you're mad, it's done, it's over. You're, no, you're, well, you're still at it. We're still at it. Go on, tell me it. more. We're making progress. I, I, I was speaking to the powers to be in the DAA and in Cork Airport, and they've given us tremendous support. Not to put on a jet on it, but to put on a turboprop. Yeah. We're hoping, we're hoping now that we will be up and running at some stage in 2024. It's that close at the moment. With a new company? With a new company. The company would probably be called Green Air Aviation would be the name of the company. Okay. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes at the moment. Uh, like my son is a pilot in Belfast with Emerald Air. Right. And it's a five-hour drive down from Belfast when he comes down. We flew up a couple of weeks ago in 35 minutes yeah. Belfast. Like if, if you want to do business in Belfast and you want to go by road, you're looking at a 10-hour commute. Yeah. If you go up in an aeroplane, you're up there in 35 minutes on the ground. You can do your day's work and you can be back in Cork at 4 or 5 o'clock in the evening. That's that's what it's all about. Dublin, as, as, you're, as you're well aware, 
at the detriment of Cork, Dublin has gained an awful lot of destinations at the detriment of Cork. Mm-hmm. Our cultures are up and down the road every hour of the day. It's three, three and a half hour commute in the, in the, in the, in the coach. It's 25 minutes in the air. Is it is it cost effective though? Because that's one of the reasons that Ryanair stopped doing it. And was it Stobart you used to? Stobart from Bust. Stobart from Bust. PJ, if I can go back to 2008, mm. the last flights, there were three companies Aer Lingus, Air Aaron, and Ryanair were running services to Dublin. That's right. It carried 3.5 million in 2008. And it collapsed in 2008. Air Aaron went bust. Ryanair reduced the price to 5 euro. Five euros each way, which was unsustainable. Erling was pulled out, and when Erling was pulled out, Ryanair pulled out also, and it left Cork with nothing. And then we were told you have a motorway almost door to door, you have buses, and you have trains. Yes, you if you have plenty of time, mm. if you have plenty of time to get the coach, it's a great way to travel. But I, I was a coach frequently going to Dublin, and it's a three, three and a half hour commute. Yeah, it at is. Certain times of the day, it's a twenty-five minute flight to Dublin. So you think you'll have news for me in what, early 2024? Definitely. Hmm. Definitely. We're at a very advanced stage at the moment of putting the, the whole the, the whole concept of the company together. Exciting times, Tony. Listen, yes. stay in touch with me about the event in November and I might just pop along, if only for an hour, to say hello and good luck with it. We'd love to have you, PJ. And congratulations again in your award. Well-deserved. And you're a very strong voice for the people of Cork. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate those words. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks, PJ. Thank you for your time. Bye-bye now. See ya. Yeah. Um, that, I, Tony is at that. I took a call from Tony on that in 2017, I'd say. Even late 2016. Um, about that airport thing and that Cork-Dublin flight being reinstated. He has a point. He definitely has a point, and he, off air, he was telling us he has some very, very big backers with very, very deep pockets. It'll be interesting to see what happens in in early 2024. Thank you, Tony. And what are you saying about the penny dinners and the people going in there who have jobs and mortgages and on the face of it would be successful people and they're going in there every week maybe or every fortnight because with all the bills paid and with the mortgage done and everything else covered they don't have anything to eat until the next paycheck 0818969696 some travel news there's a crash or there has been a crash at the Kinsale Road roundabout not a serious one we're being told but it's causing big delays from the city side of the roundabout it is turning more grotty by the minute as Storm Babette, is it Babette or Barbette? Bab- Babette um, is preparing to dump 24 hours of pretty non-stop rain on it. Maybe more than 24 hours. So turn on your lights. If you don't have those automatic DRLs, those daytime or DLRs, daytime lights on your car, turn on your lights. Okay. Help, help us to see you. 0818 96 96 96. On the cost of living, when was the last time an ordinary working person joined the doll without having a degree or going through years of politics that, that do subtly change them? We need more people with immediate life experience going directly into the doll. I assume you mean by that case is that people 
who haven't sort of used the council system, the, the local government system, as a kind of a political apprenticeship. I presume that's what you mean. I do like, that's a good point. That's a very strong point. I'm long enough following politics to know that, particularly with the big parties, all of them, you end up doing your, you do your council training, as it were. You do your your apprenticeship in the council, and then you go step upstairs into the doll. And by the time you get into the doll, you have a certain political mindset as to how it works. That's that's a good point. But I imagine that when you get to the doll as well, they spend the first six months trying to knock the edges off you. Uh, do you remember George Lee, the the former RTE correspondent who broke, along with the great Charlie Bird, the huge banking story years ago. George ended up running for the Doyle. <laughs> and he topped the poll, I think he did. Flew in to the Doyle. And he was gone, what was it, a year or two later? Because he got in there and he was told, right, shut up now. Sit down now, shut up and, like, you'll speak when you're spoken to, kind of thing. So... There's a, there's a lot to be said for what you're saying, Kate. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. The junior cert results are out next week. <laughs> Is the damn thing worth a curse anymore? That's the question we'll try to answer next. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Happy dates all wrong. Apologies. It's tomorrow that the junior cert results are out. October the 18th. Available online from 4 o'clock. 71 thousand students waiting on results are they really of any use to anyone that's the question that parents I think ask all the time what on earth is this for anymore Uh, Michelle Flynn is a career guidance counsellor and advisor and joins me Um, is it of a purpose does it serve a purpose in 2023 Michelle good morning Good morning, Peter. How are you? Um, I suppose absolutely yes, 100%, I would say. And I suppose, you know, the biggest testament to that is the current Leaving Certs of 2024 who have never sat a junior cert. So I suppose they are an example of how, you know, a loss the junior cert is to them. I suppose a lot of them are reporting feelings of, look, I've never had a state exam. I've no idea what things like the booklet looks like. I've never been in a hall with invigilators. I've never practiced exam technique. I've never prepared for exam. I don't know how to study. So all of these feelings are so common um, in recent weeks that I've never kind of felt before. And also parents, I suppose, are feeling, look, my son or daughter is at a huge loss in terms of A, knowing, you know, what grades they would have gotten in their subjects, I suppose, choosing subjects now for leaving search. There's a whole kind of, um, I suppose, a nervousness there this year for the leaving search who have never had that experience. Mm. Because I think what the impression over the last couple of years is, well, it's earlier now the results are this year, but sure, last year mm-hmm. they nearly got them with their with with the Christmas cards, and and yeah. the view was, well, what's the point in it anymore? You you sit you sit it in June, and you you get it from for Christmas. What's the point anymore? Yeah. I, 
I suppose like the last couple of years were exceptional in terms of the delay. Like this year, it is a bit earlier in October, but I suppose obviously going back traditionally, it would have been September. And um, I suppose the biggest thing, like anyone getting their junior cert results today, obviously they'll have time to celebrate and enjoy it. But moving forward, their ne- next biggest step is choosing their leaving cert subjects. Yes. And I suppose this is a very informative piece where, you know, I meet students at Career Hub who'd say to me, look, I never kept on chemistry because I didn't know you needed for a veterinary, for example, or look, I don't know what subjects I need to get into law. And I suppose all colleges have different requirements now in terms of language, in terms of like you need a H4 for primary school teaching, you need, you know, higher level maths for engineering. And this is a very informative base for students to see where their strengths are, because I suppose choosing your subjects, there's a lot of different angles that you need to look at and they can be quite informative. Also, a student knows, you know, their interest in a subject so that it couples with the result then as well after, you know, so it can be quite informative for them. In terms of, you know, exam technique, I remember my school days, admittedly they're not yesterday, but we would we got tough Christmas tests and we got tough summer tests every year and they yep. were conducted in the school hall and properly invigilated by okay, you wouldn't get your own teacher, but you get a teacher from from another year. Yeah. So we had that yeah. bit of practice. Yeah, I suppose definitely, like every school in, at Christmas and even now some leaving service will have midterms. But I suppose the biggest thing there is that like, they're not full papers. So if you were to sit uh, an English paper that's over two and a half hours, the max did you get in a class exam would be maybe, you know, an hour. So I suppose it really is kind of proportionate that way. A full junior search exam is longer. You're getting, uh, say, your results from all aspects of the paper. Like I know leaving certs or junior certs or any year now getting Christmas exams, they might be told, look, you'll have chapters... 15 to 20 in your Christmas exams. In your summer, you'll have the latter part of the book or whatever, okay. whereas it's a full exam and that that's really, really different, you know, in terms of the kind of questions that are asked. You're, you know, if you're writing about, for example, play in English, you have to look at the whole play rather than just a couple of scenes. So I suppose it's more in-depth. Uh, but yes, absolutely. Like you do get practice of exams, of course, in schools and they have regular class exams. But I don't think it's the same as walking into a hall, experiencing the state exams. Um, it's quite different. Like we all remember our, our, how nervous you feel and worried. And I suppose planning for it, like learning, how do I build a study plan? How do I know what subjects, how do I practice questions? And Leaving Certs now are definitely reporting that in the last few months okay. that they just feel a bit lost. They didn't they have a junior cert, so they don't have a, a starting base. Come back to the idea of Mm -hmm. picking your subjects. What is the point of getting your results in October? You've got to pick those subjects in August. Yeah, so it depends. Yeah, sorry, go on. Mm -hmm. Go on. Unless, of course, transition year is is the problem, is, is saving that. Yeah, so I suppose it depends on the, the school and locally and like anyone who's in transition year at the moment who's getting their results today, they'll have until usually April to, to choose their exams. Anyone that's gone into fifth year, yes, unfortunately, and even, you know, parents do express their frustrations at that, that they didn't, you know, have the time to maybe look at the results and to really make that decision. Like some people are fine choosing their results, but or sorry, their subjects, but a lot of people aren't and they do use them as a kind of an indicator of where their strengths lie. So yes, the timeline is a bit, I suppose, thwarted if you like, um, but anyone in transition at the moment will have plenty of time up until usually a school normally around the end of April will ask for the, their leaving cert subject choice. It was, it was like you said, always September. Why did it run so late? I presume COVID was to blame, but sure, COVID's gone now. Why did it run so late yeah. this year? This year, the, so the, the SEC, this is the state examinations, commissions have reported that there was a lower rate of 
correctors basically so examiners and I suppose then the leaving cert was a bit ran on a bit later because of appeals and the whole thing clashed if you want for want of a better phrase so it meant that you didn't have the examiners and a lot of the examiners who worked with the leaving certs maybe wouldn't have gone on to work with the junior cert so I think it's just staff shortages and just timing and it's kind of a bit it's definitely ran a lot later since Covid mm. definitely. So definitely what you're saying to me Michelle is that th- there has been an argument for a number of years now, sure, what's the point in the junior search? Mm-hmm. Get rid of it. It's only a waste of time. That You're saying to me, in your position as career guidance counsellor, that act, no, the, the, the leaving certs of 2023-24 are coming into 20, the leaving cert that did their exams this year. They didn't have a junior cert and it shows. It does, and it's the first year. Really, really shows, and like, there's no denying that the leaving cert is, is like vital. The importance is essential going on to college or PLCs or apprenticeships, but the junior cert is kind of has to be seen more like a foundation. And I suppose this is the one year that you can really see the feelings of it. And like, I've never seen so much of it. To be honest, nearly every I go as far as every second, third student that I'm meeting are saying, "Look, I, I'm really worried. I'm stressed." And I'm talking really. I had a girl, for example, on career hub last night who's going for veterinary. She's doing brilliant. She's doing very well. But she's, you know, working in with her study because she's she has this fear of I've never done it. I'm going to just complete down on the day, and I don't know anything about timing. You know, I, I'm don't know how to do this properly for an exam. So there is that echoing of worry, vulnerability, I suppose, and not having the experience. If they had had the experience, I suppose they would know, yeah. you know, what to expect. And also any student applying for to the UK or to, to Europe to do like things like medicine, dentistry, they're usually popular. Um, you do need predicted grades as well from your junior search. They will ask for those before the leaving cert results are out. So when a teacher is doing them, they're very informative as well. So all those little things, I suppose, that go on behind the scenes that are important to get to your leaving cert journey and then your college journey. The junior search is a huge foundation for that. Okay. Confidence and logistics, I suppose. And as you said, the proof is there in this year's cohort of Leaving Certs. Michelle, thank you. Michelle Flynn, a career guidance counsellor and advisor, uh, careerhub.ie. So the people doing Leaving Cert next June, according to Michelle, are struggling because they didn't have a junior cert. And therefore, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. We do need to retain it. Your thoughts welcome. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818-969696-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-
that across the board take all all of us into account. It was like a general increase of 2% for us all in the budget. An increase of 2% at a time when inflation is rolling at about three times that. So that's pretty much what you're looking at. I will I will come back to it. The weather is turning increasingly mouldy out there. It looks looks horrible now, and there's a lot more rain to come out of that sky. We have a orange rain warning until at least this time tomorrow. Babette is going to chuck it down in us like, like like an angry mammy. So she is in the next couple of hours. So be wary out there. Put your lights on. Slow down and give yourself extra time to stop. Good advice. 0818 96 96 96 Now we're going to speak with a man whom I have admired for quite some time I speak of Father Tony Flannery A man told in 2012 that he could no longer serve in ministry And this was not because he'd done that and out of the way All he'd done is said that maybe the church needs to rethink a few things Among them, its attitude to women Priests and uh, Father Flannery was summoned to Rome and rapped on the knuckles, to say the least, but then told that he could no longer celebrate Mass in public. Tony, you're the subject of a, a new documentary on TG Carr on Wednesday, and in, in reading ahead of it, I was uh, upset for you, very upset for you. When Geraldine, your sister, died, they refused to allow you to say her Mass. Good morning. Good morning, Tony. Incidentally, the weather is getting mouldy here, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah, that was one of the unfortunate things. Uh, What I discovered, you see, when uh, when I was suspended in 2012, I put 40 years practically behind me working full-time as a priest, very active, mostly up and down the country. I'm a redemptress, giving missions and retreats and all that sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden, just overnight, every door was closed. And I became an outsider. Uh, that was a strange experience. For people who wouldn't remember, Tony, well, first of all, the Redemptorists, younger people wouldn't remember the Redemptorists. You were the fire and brimstone merchants. That and did that, was just, that was before my time. <laughs> 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 we, had, we had gone soft. <laughs> well, if, if, if I met the softies, I don't know what the other guys were. But no, what did you say that got you kicked out, Tony? Because yes. people would not believe it when you tell them. Was more what I what I had written. You see, I started writing articles, and then I started writing books. And when you put things in print, you're setting yourself up. You you mentioned some of the issues. Uh, they had to do around priesthood, and of course, when you're talking about priesthood, you're talking about the whole issue of women in the church, and that that was a big one. And then aspects of Catholic sexual teaching, the contraception issue, the LGBT, they were the sort of issues uh, that were, uh, I wasn't the only one, God, there were lots of others saying the same thing, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, they picked on me and out the door. So, And the ironic thing about that, PJ, is, uh, I don't know, will your listeners know there's a big synod going on in Rome at the moment, the culmination of a couple of years of consultation right around the world. And uh, about 400 people gathered in Rome for the month. 
and all the issues that I was suspended about are now on the floor of the Senate being openly discussed. Like women deacons anyway, whatever about women priests, isn't that right? There certainly, well, in a broader sense, the whole equality of women is is a big issue. I had one of the big guys over there now is Cardinal Hollerich. He's a Swiss. Uh, he'd be really a right-hand man of Francis. And I saw him quoted yesterday saying, by far the biggest issue facing the Catholic Church internationally is the question of women and equality for women. Mm-hmm. And it was great to hear a guy like that saying that. I mean, when I said that, I was thrown out the door. But there you go, that's the way it goes. Yeah, go, back, go back to that time um, when you were, as you say, thrown out the door. You, you were summoned to Rome. I was summoned. Now, Good to know. Uh, Benedict was still Pope at that stage. Francis hadn't come in for another year. I was summoned to Rome by the head of the Redemptress, uh, the International Redemptress, and told that I was in serious trouble because the Vatican objected to my writings and basically was saying that I was heretical. And that began the process. What I discovered when I went to Rome was that the whole process had actually happened. The uh, accusations had come in where they came from, I don't know, and uh, this was never revealed to me of the nature of the accusations against me. The accusations had come in, the discussions happened in the Curia in the Congregation of Doctrine of Faith, decisions were made, Mm -hmm. penalties were decided on, all of that was done before I even knew about it. So the judge it. banged the gavel before the accused man was even in court? Exactly. Okay. And the redemptorist authorities then <clears throat> were really just the um, messenger boys for the Vatican. And all because you'd been discussing things then that are almost <laughs> coming into being church policy now. Tony, <laughs> then what happened? Your, your, your beloved sister, Geraldine, uh, they, they, passed yeah. away. Well, in the last couple of years, two members of my family died. Peter Frost, uh, who, who was in Limerick, and he died. And I, I had no difficulty getting permission to celebrate Peter's Mass publicly. Uh, the Bishop of Limerick, Mr. Um, Brendan Leahy, was very, very uh, supportive in all of that. And then about a year later, Geraldine died. Now, Geraldine, I was close to Geraldine. She was an unmarried uh, lady. She was uh, practiced Chinese medicine and that. And uh, she'd had a congenital heart condition, so she knew she wasn't going to live into old age. She was about 76 or 77 when she died. But she had always insisted to me, she said, to you to say my funeral mass. Mm-hmm. Now, I was suspended at that stage. She said, wherever it is, I want you to say it. And close to where she lived there was a a marquee business and she had gone and spoken to them and said when I die I want you to set up a marquee in the field so that Tony will be able to say the mess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She had all that arranged but COVID intervened and when she died COVID was still beginning to ease off but was still there and the marquee business was gone anyway at that stage. Mm -hmm. So Thinking of the experience with my brother the previous year, I rang up the administrator in June Cathedral and I asked him, would it be okay if I celebrated the funeral mass? And I didn't expect any problem with it, but he said the Archbishop was away, you'd have to check with them. 
And he came back to me about 24 hours later to say, no, the Archbishop uh, refused permission to celebrate Mass. Uh, now, I was really uh, taken aback at that. And mm-hmm. uh, by unfortunate coincidence, I think it was about 15 minutes later, I'd been with that, but uh, I was briefly away that morning and I got what she had died. She she died oh, while okay. you were seeking permission yes. to say now, her Mass in a, in, what, in, a, what, in a church. What I did then, and it's actually shown a bit in tomorrow night's programme, I we we celebrated the funeral Mass in her house. Mm. She had a nice sunroom with glass and a garden outside it. Yeah, because, uh, because you can say Mass, Tony, can't you? You're still a priest. You can say Mass, but not in, but not in a church without permission from the presiding bishop. Exactly, well, not publicly. That'll be in the document. We're coming to a point now, though, and we're only, I was only talking to the parish priest of Killa a few weeks ago here, who was saying lay people are going to have to be covering funerals soon. There are no young priests. There are very few pe- priests joining. That's true. And yeah. there's a crisis facing the church, and yet they'll still tell someone like you, you can't say mass. There's an enormous change coming, uh, happening in the church right before our eyes. And all the indications are that certainly in the Western world, priesthood as we know it is dying out. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to, uh, new thinking will have to come into uh, who exercises ministry, who celebrates Mass and that. Mm. Because to some people, having a priest at their funeral is very important to them. To others, they couldn't care less. Exactly. Lots of families are not baptizing their kids. Their children mm. anymore, yes. Yes, so the whole, uh, uh, in a lot of ways, and I don't take any pleasure in this at all, but it, it, the church is really falling apart. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's in, in a way, Tony, and I know you'll answer this question because you're not a man who's ever shirked away from a question about the church. Is the church, I know, even given what Pope Francis is trying to do, is the church reaping what it has sown? Oh, to a fair degree it is. You're perfectly right there, PJ. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, like even my own experience of justice or injustice in the church, it's medieval in so many ways. The church has not changed in centuries. <laughs> and, and as you say, society has gone way past, the cultural norms have gone way past it. And that's where the women's issue, like for the church to sideline women effectively in terms of decision-making and ministry is so out of tune with modern life and the way that other organisations are running. By a pure layman's view, Tony, a number of years ago, I used to think, well, we've got a few nuns still. Could we not bless them, ordain them, and give them the right to say Mass? At least you're picking from your own flock, as it were. (laughs) I suppose that... That's really not possible anymore because the poor old nuns are in the same state as ourselves. <laughs> they're probably worse, God bless them. left of them are very old. Now they're great is ladies. A, isn't it? That is a problem, Tony. People aren't joining the church. People aren't joining religious life. People aren't joining priesthood. No, the whole credibility of the thing, of course, the clerical sexual abuse did enormous yeah, damage yeah, to credibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that too, yeah. Oh, that yeah. And, and the mother and baby homes okay. and, and forced adoption All and, 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 and the Magdalene law. That destroyed the church once people, I think, 
I was involved in the early days of the Magdalene laundry story and the mother and baby stories coming out. I was one of the journalists that was privileged to have people come forward and talk to me about what they've been through. And I think that was that was the late nineties, maybe early nineties. I think that horrified a general public that either didn't know or were never told about it. And I know people of my own circle who the minute I began to tell stories like mother and baby home stories, mental laundry stories, when the abuse stories broke and you know we had a lot of big stories here in Cork and Cloyne and all those places. People ran in their droves and they never came back. Yes, yes, yes. It's ironic actually the particular article that the Vatican objected to uh, that I had written had to do with the Klein report. Oh God, I remember <laughs> being there for that press conference too. I'm sure you did. And I read <laughs> your report. <laughs> but there you go. Yes. Oh, haven't we, like God, in my lifetime, we have seen some collapse in the Catholic Church. In the, now, uh, that wouldn't be true all over the world, but it's very true in the Western world. Yeah. I think it's particularly true in Ireland, and as you said, and I did put that question to you, it is reaping what it has sown. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. And the, the, the question now is, like, I think increasingly people are beginning to make a distinction between church and faith. And Very much so. Can, Very much so. Can faith, uh, the Christian faith, faith in Christ, can that survive even though the church is collapsing all around us? Uh, I had a dear friend who died a number of years ago and in one of our last conversations I said to him you're a man of faith are you? Yes. I said I am. He said deep faith. But I said right. you haven't been inside a church in 20 years. Right. He right. said the two are not the same my friend. Good on him. Well spoken yes and I think more and more we're beginning to realise that and it's so important that we try to make that distinct. Because if, if the faith is firmly attached to the church to faith will collapse along with the church and that would be the real tragedy the church will do without other forms will develop mm. but the, the message is more important yeah Tony, Tony I wish you well um, you're, you're still campaigning away uh, doing a bit now <laughs> Good tomorrow, man. tomorrow night anyway I'm, I've seen the programme and it's lovely and I'm delighted with it in the sense that sort of it, it's put the whole story on record from my point of view and I'm delighted with I it. did not know, lastly I did not know that your brother is Frank yeah. um, now to those of us into politics the name Frank Flannery <laughs> you know, one of the hardest nosed negotiators in the history of Irish politics and he couldn't believe what was done to you. That's right, yes. Yes, Paul Frank is not... <clears throat> he, he, well, Frank is older than me now. He, he's soon, he'll be soon 80. Right. And don't mind you, he's looking great on it for a time. But he, he's not involved in the political world anymore. Oh, I know that. I know that. But in his time... In, in, in his time, if you, were facing, if you were facing Frank Flannery across the table, you were in trouble. I must tell him that, <laughs> Give him, please do give him my personal regards, will you, Tony? Because Would we haven't seen him? each other for a long time. Yeah, ah, I just seen good. him frequently. I just seen him frequently. Good, good. Yeah. All right. Listen, okay, please, look after yourself and take care. Thank you very much. Lovely talking to you. Cheers. Thank you. Lovely, lovely, lovely man, the great Tony Flannery. That uh, program on TG Cahar, uh tomorrow night. They're believing.
people are leaving the church in droves. They're not getting their children baptised. They're pulling their children out of the sacraments. But yet they're people of faith. I know I won't reveal the name of the person who died a number of years ago that I was was a dear friend of mine. But we talked about things as you do when you know a friend of yours is is on the last lap. Um, you talk about things that you've never talked about before. And I was talking to him about faith, and he was a man of very deep faith, very deep faith. And I said, "But well, you haven't been inside the door of the church in twenty years." He said, "No, I haven't. But they're not the same thing." Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over thirty five years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's ninety six FM. And you were listening to uh, Father Flannery. Good morning. Morning. What would you say? Yeah. Um. Why don't they allow married men married to become priests? That's a strange thing. They do sometimes. They do, because I know in my brother's parish in Leamington, they have a married couple. Yeah. And it's the best thing they ever did because he's so understanding. Yeah. He knows what people are on about and he listens to them. Yeah. I know in the Church of England and in the Church of Ireland, obviously, where they're married, if a Church of Ireland or Church of England minister converts to Catholicism... Then they can, and assuming they're married, that's okay. They, they yeah. can do that. Um, because they were out of priests for a good couple of months, you know, because as you say, there's not many of them there. Yes. But this particular priest and his family moved into the church house and it's flying. It's packed out every Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's understandable. Then priests understand. Yeah. There's some priests there that wouldn't give you the time of the day. Mm. Are you a person of faith yourself, Anne? I am indeed, yeah. Do you, do you go to Mass? I do, and I listen to it on the radio if I can't. Do you? Or on, on the phone, I mean, if I can't. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's Radio Marion or something. You can get it on the phone, isn't that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So does it, does your it? faith mean a lot to you? It does indeed, because I do pray a lot for everybody that's gone before me. Yeah. And for people that are ill, I do pray. And you think that if married men could become priests... Oh, my goodness, the churches would be full. And how would you feel about women being priests? Oh, but I would agree with that as well. Would you? I mean, everybody's equal today, supposed to be. Supposed to be is the question, isn't it? Yeah. Wouldn't it it be a great change if a church that once sent women away to places in the country to have their children, only for their children to be adopted without their knowledge or consent... Mm-hmm. to now allow those same women to become priests, wouldn't that be some change? Wouldn't it be a big change? Wouldn't it be? Chances of it ever happening, I imagine, are quite slim. But Anne, thank you very much. 0818 96 96 96. Now this is fostering week and we know there is a chronic shortage of foster carers. It's almost at emergency level at this stage, and I, I wouldn't be overstating it. I wouldn't be overaching that pudding. There's a chronic shortage of foster carers. In the budget last week, there was an increase in their allowance um, of €75 Euro per child per week. The catch being that they'll only get a bit of it this year and the rest of it next year. And they're not happy because it's the first increase of any significance since 2009 
and Fitzgibbon uh, got on to us. And you're, you are or you were a foster carer. Good morning. Oh, I'm 110% still a foster carer. Good teacher. for you. Good yes. for you, Anne. Good yeah. for you. And, and yeah. go, go through it for people um, who think, right, that you're getting nearly 400 quid a week into your paw. Because people do think well, that. The, the first thing I have to say to you is that I'm not getting the 400 euros into my paw. This is a foster care allowance for the child. Yeah. Okay. And out of that, you spoke while ago earlier on in your program about the cost of living, yeah. right? We have all of those same things, electricity, the whole lot. It, it, the, one of the, the foster carers actually broke it down the other day and she put down 10 euros a week for electricity. Uh, food, we laughed at. She put down 126 euros a week. That was giving the child three meals a day at six euros per meal. Now, yeah. my fridge is never full because you could fill it today and it's empty this evening. Yeah. Right. They're constantly in it. So, you know, there's pocket money, there's, there's phone credits, just like everyone else. But what hits us then is the wear and tear in our homes. Yeah. Because a child coming into care, they have major trauma. God love them. I mean, for any of your own children to be taken out of your home, even if it's a great home, they're not going to be happy. You know, so with that comes the trauma of it. You know, so and then there's anxiety and there's there's loads of other issues involved in it. So unfortunately, these little children, you know, the percentage of, of foster children coming in have substantially higher needs than most children. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, you you're, you have to add in a car, you know, you have to. And every foster child cannot be separated from a biological child. They have to have exactly the same as every other biological child. Now, if that means a, a bouncing castle, then the foster child has to have a bouncing castle. You know, we put no difference between it. But the extras on top of it is the the travelling that we have to do for access. Now, because it's in a crisis at the moment, a child can be placed anywhere. And that's not fair on the child. Yeah. You know, it's really not fair on the child. You're taking them out of the environment that they know. You're taking them away from the schools. But because we're in a crisis. So this you could is have a child, fa- could you not? You, you could have a child from the city north or south side, from Mayfield or Toker, just as easy. You could have, or Douglas or, or wherever, you could have a child from there being fostered in Clonakilty. Ah, that's easy. You could have them down in Wicklow or in Waterford or in Kerry. I was, I was waiting for you to moment. say that, Anne, because I know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's how, how, how we are at the moment. And then you have to drive the child for access to see mum and dad, which is so important to meet their biological families. But Tusla, sorry, government don't pay any mileage to foster carers. You have to do a round trip of 150 kilometres. And then you have to go through the ropes to try and claim that. Yeah. You really, it's not easy to claim it. <laughs> Believe me, I, I was fortunate enough to have a, be given a mobile home in Kerry for a summer holiday a couple of years ago. And I came up and down and up and down so many times from Kerry for appointments that I just said, give up the mobile home. It's not It's not worth it because I had a child who's got travel sickness. Mm-hmm. And God love him. He wasn't the one that was coming for the appointments. But, you know, I'm, it, so we don't, you know, there's no nothing given to that. Nothing whatsoever. But we can fix this. We can fix this crisis. How can we fix it? The chronic shortage. I, I'm just talking to someone okay. in the last few months who had to take a child into an emergency placement and they had to go to Roscommon. Not- on a Friday evening. Yeah, but that's 
Yeah. And and then you've got to go up to Roscommon to bring that child down and up and down and up and down. Retention, right? Recruiting and retention is huge, right? Mm. But the recruiting isn't happening because well, we're on the radio and we're telling you it's, you know, there's there's an ad out there and it's a child swinging in a, on a swing and, you know, have you got a spare bedroom and can you take a child to a park? That's yeah. not fostering. It's all very sweet, you know, isn't it? Fostering. The ad is all very sweet. It, uh, yeah, it is. And it costs the foster care a huge amount of money emotionally, financially. You're, you have to get yourself trained to look after these children, we have to become psychologists. We have to become all of these extra pieces to keep the child safe in our home to look after them properly. Mm-hmm. Because, okay, they might get, if they're lucky, they might get into cams, but that's an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah. We have them for the other 22 hours. Yeah. And we have to know how to deal with whatever comes up, whatever comes up. Mm-hmm. Now, so the children, they definitely 110% need extra for all the extra pieces, you know, for all the breakages, for all, which is done through no fault of their own. It's all to do with trauma. It's all anxiety. It's mm-hmm. all of these kind of things. So they, they need to be looked after. But if you can look after the people that you already have, instead of people saying, I can't afford it anymore. And they're leaving. And they're not only leaving, but they're leaving with all the experience that they brought with them. You know, we go to support groups and it mightn't be your problem today, but it certainly could be your problem next week, next year. And and sharing that information. Oh, I had a child that used to do that. I had, you know, children to no fault of their own. It's a psychological thing. Bed siling. You know, you could change a mattress a couple of times a year, three to four times a year. You know, your washing machine is, is hopping every night, every morning after after it. You know, so all these, if, if there was help in those kind of things. But as well as that, you have to look after the foster carers. Yes. You have to look after the foster carers. And, you know, because we take in children, because we want to take them in, we're penalised for staying at home and looking after the children I'll in our care. I'll get to that in a second. That's, that's the, the pensions okay. argument, which was made on the programme last c- week by Cathy, quite brilliantly yeah. made. And yeah. the movement for change in fostering, of which you remember, is calling for that. But talk to me a little bit about children being troubled. You know, we all know what it's like to have a teenager in the house. You know, it, you, you, you get through it by hook or by crook with your sanity intact if you're lucky. Add to okay. that a child who's been traumatised and has gone through the teenage years in a home that isn't theirs with people who will treat them wonderfully, but they want to be at home. That's a very troubled young person. Yeah, they don't want to be there. They really don't want to be in your home. And on top of that then comes allegations. If, if a child thinks they can get out of a home, they make allegations against a foster carer. And the foster care then is in the height of it at the moment. There's a new um, thing after coming in. It's called CASP. I know about and it. And a foster carer can be in trouble for over a year, a year and a half, two years, no problem. And not only that, but they don't even know what the allegations are. But you have to understand if a child doesn't get PS5 when he wants it or she wants it, then they can make trouble for for um, foster care. If they're not driven down to the city for a disco that's totally inappropriate for them, they can turn it around on the foster child on the foster care. But the foster carers are here, and we take it. We take all these slaps, so and why, we try and why, work around it. Why did it. you do it? Why did you start, and why do you continue? 
I started nearly 30 years ago. Um, I always wanted to give a child a second chance. I think that was my thing, to give a child a second chance. Was there a driving force um, behind every, that? Was it, sorry, a driving force? No, no, I came from a fabulous, I I knew nothing. I absolutely, I learned all about um, prison through my fostering experiences. I had all the definitions. I knew all about it. I learned that through my fostering. I learned how to get drugs. I came from a sheltered background. I really did come from a sheltered background. I knew none of that. All right, they, Fostering has, has brought me into that. But I just think I always had the grow for children. And I can't cope with a sad child. I will make a complete nutter fool out of myself to try and get a smile smile out of a child if I can do that. And if I can make a child feel safe, that's huge. You know, that you know, you hear stories of children and they're saying how that we came down the stairs and there was loads of people downstairs or we'd step over and glasses broken on the floor. No child deserves that. But unfortunately, that's life. And it's not down to the biological parents either. They're in a rush. They're in that that catch as well. So it's just the child is the most vulnerable one in all of this. They really are. But you mentioned movement for for change there. Um, After all the budgets and all the budgets passing us by, a group of foster carers from the south to the north got together, east and west, and we decided last year, okay, every politician is going to know every story about foster carers. And movement for change drove us along. And every now and then there would be a letter come out that send this to your politician, but adapt it to your own way. And they met with ministers up and down the country and we really, really, really thought we were being listened to this year. Yeah. And then to be told, yeah, we're listening to you, but you wait another another 14 months. And what's supposing there's a crisis somewhere and that money is needed to go to that crisis next November? We don't get it. That's my fear. You know, we... And here's a statistic. It's down the line. Here's a statistic. And I don't know, what is the weekly payment at the moment, Anne? 325. 325, okay. Yeah. So 325 per child to, to stay in, in, in a foster home. Yeah. For people who wouldn't know, I'm, a, I'm right, aren't I? Residential care, which when fostering oh. breaks down, you're talking what? Thousands? You know, you could be, you could be talking up to 20,000. If, if, you, if you start, okay, Tusla foster care is 325, okay? If there, aren't a, if there isn't a Tusla foster care there in the morning, then they move to the agencies. And they ha- Tusla have to pay the agencies 1,000 euros a week. If that's not available, then you're looking at hotel rooms. And with a hotel room or with Airbnb, this is where children are being put today. I mean, this is crazy stuff. But you're talking then about three shifts, so you're talking about six staff members looking after that one child. In the East, I've heard of houses being purchased to house one or two or three children. Yeah. Who wants to put a child into residential care today? This We've is, come be, this a long is because way of the shortage of fostering parents, isn't it? Because of the shortages, yes, yeah. But if the government can pay these extras, why can't they start at the, at the ground level? And give it to the to the children in the foster homes at the moment. You know, if the if the foster carers that were there today can say, you don't have to put your hand in your pocket, but you certainly do, is the answer today. Mm-hmm. You would get people 
as as just like me minded who want to help. There are so many people out there who say, well, you know, God, I'd love to do fostering. But they have to be told it's not just take a child to the park and push them on a swing or have you a spare bedroom, you know, but that you have to support that foster carer. And we don't feel supported at the moment because we're paying so much mm. out of our own pockets. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm not well looked after at the moment. You know, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm a single carer. You know, my mom and dad were brilliant to me, thank God. You know, when they left this, this, this planet, they, you know, they looked after me. My family have been great to me. But, you know, you've mortgages, you know, and the child has to be given a bedroom. That's all part and parcel. It all comes into it, you know. But but we've stuck together. Foster carers, through Movement for Change, have stuck together this year. And we're fighting. We want to continue to foster. We really do. Now, you're talking about marching. I personally will not march across the road because I'm exposing the children in my house then as being foster children. And it's not that there's a stigma or anything against it. No, it's the law. We're not allowed to know. Well, you're not, you're not. But then the other side of it is, what do you do? Do you hand the children back? No, I will never hand the children back. They know no nothing else other than living here. I will not do that. But I will, you know, I will do without. And I am doing without. Provided they have. Supposing, we, we, supposing six, a troubled six, youngster d- damages a bit. I, I'm not, I, in order to not to identify anybody close to you, Anne, if a troubled youngster destroys their bedroom. Is there any help there for the foster parent no. to replenish no. that? No, no, no. Nothing. I was talking, uh, yeah, I was talking in a group situation last week and the door frames have, is, whatever they're called, the frames around the doors, they were ripped off. Yeah, they were ripped off the walls. Radiators are a very common thing that are pulled off. And then you have a child with anxiety and they chip and chip and chip away at a a plasterboard and they eventually get the plaster off the walls, paint off the walls. That's the wear and tear of our homes. It really is the wear and tear of our homes. And we accept this, but there is no support. You know, there was another, there was another care and she had a teenager and he was having a meltdown. And she said for his own safety, she was trying to talk to him and trying to calm him down. But at the same time, she was looking to see where his eyes were going to see if it was something that could actually put him in danger, you know, smashing lamps or whatever, you know, or pulling out sockets off of the wall. She had not only to try and calm him down, but she was also looking ahead to see what dangers that he could cause to himself. Her home was way down the line, you know, I'll deal with that kind of tomorrow. But her priority thing was to look after the child. So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, then, then we're asked to keep things to a proper, a good standard for these children, which was grand, but you still have to try and repair the repair. We just need, we will do it and we'll keep doing it, Mm. but we have to be supported. I mean, the government admitted, you know, that this is a travesty and these are the the most vulnerable children in our state Mm. and we want to be able to look after them and we want people to foster. This is fostering week. And as I say, I've been doing it nearly 30 years now and I have no regrets, none whatsoever. Despite the difficulties, you love it. Absolutely. But it's the state's problem. It's not the children's problem, you say. It's the state's problem. It really is. Uh, You move, you're talking about teenagers. So, right, a teenager, a child comes to the age of 18. 
what foster care says, bye, best of luck to you. But that's what the government is doing to, to the foster carers. Because unless that child goes into education, they don't get anything for the, for the child. So what happens to the child? You're supposed to give them, you know, set them up. You know, maybe they'd be lucky to get an, an apartment or a flat or whatever. And you're supposed to supply the kitchen stuff and the bed stuff and the whole lot. But you get people are constantly getting phone calls of no money left. So can you transfer money to me? Um, can I drop down a load of washing to you? Ninety? No, I'm sorry. When I say ninety percent, a good fifty percent of foster children never leave the foster home. They will always be in your foster home. They will always be, and foster carers accept that. Yeah. But the government cut them off unless they're in education. The support the, the, the payment stops at eighteen. Yeah. 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 And aftercare for the aftercares, you know, when a child reaches 18, instead of getting the 352 that they got when they were seven years, 17 years and 355 days, it drops by 50 euros. Now, a child, when they're 18, they want to socialize. They want to be able to go out at night. So there's taxis, there's clubs, there's alcohol, there's cigarettes. But their money, their allowance is dropped by 50 euros. Well, I have no idea where that sense comes into it. None whatsoever. And they were completely ignored in this budget. Completely ignored in this budget. You know, but we're here. We are here, but we're crying out for help. We're crying out. We will continue. Not saying everyone is continuing because people are leaving. I mean, it is a fact. People are leaving. But the ones that are here, hold on to us. Hold on to us. We're well worth holding on to. And then by us being looked after, we can say, come on, you come on, Lana. Yeah, get involved in it, get involved in it. You know, yeah. ward them out. You can't, you can't not ward them out. And, you know, we're there. We want to do it. But we need help. We need, fin- the children need financial help. Talk to they, me. They're the same as everyone else. Yeah, sorry, Anne, to cut across you. Time is, time is yeah. against me slightly. Talk to me about the pension. Now, uh, uh, was it um, Kelly? Okay, uh, made this point last week when she called me. She said, so many foster carers have to give up work so to care for the child. So when it comes to pension time, the only pension they're entitled to is the non-contributory pension. And is it, mm-hmm. is it a policy of movement for change in fostering that you want professional foster carers like yourself to be eligible for a fully contributory state pension. Absolutely. No, you use the word professional there, PJ. I have to pick you up on it. Okay. We're not professionals. <laughs> that's that's a, a, okay. a, a grow that we all have. We're not professionals. Okay. We're actually okay. volunteers, right? We're not we're not looked as okay. being professionals even though well, I'm here thirteen. I years. meant that by the way you've been doing it for as long <laughs> as you're doing it, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um no, we're classified as volunteers. Okay. Because the money so is for the act- child. Because the money is for the child, right? Now, we have to give up work when it's not a choice. We have to give work up work because um, there has to be a stay-at-home parent at all times. Yes. Okay. So because we give up work, I was a financial controller, right? I had a great job. I had a sports car. I gave it all up, right? And now to look after me in when I am come to retirement age... It's going to be means tested. I'm not entitled to a full pension. This is something that that hurts. It really does hurt 
You know, we we choose to to stay at home, not to work, to raise the children of the state. And in the other hand, then we're penalised because we're not entitled to a full pension because we don't have the stamps. I brought that, that up with Michal Martin on the show last week and he kind of, he'd heard the argument, but I don't think he'd given it much thought. Is it time that our senior politicians gave it some thought to give foster carers like yourself that do it all your lives or do it for a few years or do whatever to guarantee you the fully contributory pension at the end? Well, we, don't we deserve it? You know, it's it's not something that we're asking we're special or anything. We're just like everyone else. But the only problem is we're volunteers. That's the problem. We're volunteers. And that's why we don't have government stamp. All right. But poor Michal last week, to give Michal, he didn't do his research on foster care, unfortunately, last year. He was giving us bonuses, that we pay rises that we weren't given in the budget. So for him not to know about the pension. But movement for change have driven this fact for the last 12 months. They're only in, in existence for 12 months. Okay. And foster cares have to be, have to be, have to be given this because, you know, we're, we're living it in dire straits when we're, when we're minding the children. And then in our old age, we have nothing. Okay. And, have absolutely and nothing. stay in touch with us. Um, it's been an enlightening and a most enjoyable conversation. Anne Fitzgibbon, member of Movement for Change in Fostering. If you know nothing about fostering, would you get into it after that conversation? I don't know whether you would or not. But the point that Anne is making is there's a shortage and here's why. People are leaving it and here's why. 0818-96-96-96. Anne, thank you. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. At Harvey Norman, we're celebrating 20 years in Ireland with birthday deals on Samsung OLED Smart TVs. Enjoy a cinematic viewing experience with the 77-inch S90C, now 3999 Experience the full HD vibrant colours with the 65-inch QN800, now 4099 Bring scenes to life with the 65-inch S95C, now 3299 With up to 36 months interest-free finance terms available and our best prices guaranteed. Celebrate with great deals on us today at the Harvey Norman 20th birthday event, now on... The move to electric is on with Kia powering ahead in electric vehicle technology. Take the stylish Kia Nero EV, the multi-award winning EV6 or the all-new EV9 with space for up to seven people. Order your 241 model now to avail of flexible finance options, a free home charger and a 500 euro super value gift card. T's and C's apply. For more, see Kia.com. Kia. Movement that inspires. The United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities matters to everyone. Everyone who has a disability or who knows someone with a disability. We all have a part to play in building a more inclusive society. We all have a responsibility to protect the human rights of disabled people. This journey is important to all of us because disability rights are human rights. Find out more at gov.ie slash uncorpd an initiative of the Government of Ireland. It's hard to picture the damage high blood pressure can do. So imagine a balloon, the pressure building, causing increased strain on your heart, damaging it and other major organs, and putting you at risk of a stroke. The pressure building, 
until it's too late. Two in three adults over 50 have high blood pressure and half don't know it. Once detected, it's easily managed. Get your blood pressure checked by your GP or local pharmacy before damage is done. A message from the Irish Heart Foundation. What's your thing? You know that thing that makes you go from mm, to hoo-hoo? Is it their smouldering good looks? Their gorgeous accent? Or maybe it's just their odd fascination with sharks? Whatever your thing, let 96FM Dating help you find it. And once you've found it, their thing could become your thing too. Sign up today for free at 96fmdating.ie Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 yeah, residential. We got some here. We will podcast that interview with Anne uh, later. Um, she loves being a foster carer. She has been for thirty years or more. Uh, with being a foster carer, it brings troubled children. That's part of the deal. It's not all about going to the park and going to McDonald's. She's willing to do it and willing to keep doing it, but. On behalf of her group, which is called Movement for Change and Fostering, they need to be better respected by the government, is what they're saying. Minimum residential care weekly cost in 2019 was €6,300 per week per child. That's for mainstream Tusla residential. Private costs more. Uh, Tusla is now saying lack of foster carers is forcing children into residential care. Where is the financial sense in that? So anybody who thinks that giving someone like Anne 400 euro, say, per child per week, anyone who thinks that's too much, if you put the child into residential, it's going to cost 6,300 per child per week. So do the math, as they say. Foster carers do great work up and down the country, but I think it's a disgrace they get no support from the government. Where are these kids supposed to go when they leave care? There's nowhere for them. Is it not €300 Euro per week per kid? Is that not enough? If you think it's enough, listen back to Anne. Listen back to Anne. And the child, the money's not for them. The money's for the child. I'm a foster carer with two foster children. There are foster carers up and down the country who have spare rooms and won't be given children. We have a spare room and we've been told you have enough children now. There are no children coming. I think social workers are also so overworked they may not have the time to have another child on their books. We're not sure that is the reason. It is bizarre. Uh, Noreen's listening to Anne said that woman is amazing. Her patience and love for the kids come through as I'm listening to her. Absolutely does. Tom says, I fully support that woman you're talking to, Anne. I've dealt with fostering. It's a minefield. The minister, (laughs) I love this. I love this line. The minister is about as much use as a paper bag for carrying water. (laughs) But it's been like this for years. So, yeah, there are people who think that 325 or 300 whatever a week per child is enough, too much, etc., etc., etc. I think go and listen back to the podcast with Anne later and then come back and tell me that it's enough. Or it's too much. And in terms of the contributory pension, someone was saying last week that they shouldn't get that pension because they haven't contributed to it. Well, I'm not so sure you can't make an exception. You can make exceptions for people when you want to. 
earlier this morning with Tony Cullinan uh, who's been campaigning since late 2016 to get the flight between Cork and Dublin restored and he's telling me that uh, he will have news for me in early 2024 of a new company with a turboprop and lots of money behind it hopefully reinstating that route in early 2024 it's exciting and Tony's been at this for a long time and he's very determined some of your responses, there's no point putting a flight on from Dublin to Cork when you've got to be at the airport two hours beforehand. It's pointless. You don't always have to be in Cork Airport two hours beforehand. Uh, an hour even will do you uh, most of the time, particularly if you're pre-checked on and all that, if you're only going with a small bag and all that. But it's a point. It's a point. It can take you too much time. With the motorway and the train service, I'd say it's more convenient and faster than flying. Get into Cork Airport an hour in advance. The cost from Dublin Airport to the city. It's only viable if we declare Cork a real republic and offer duty free. That's from Frank. Yeah, getting getting into Dublin City at the other end is a flipping nightmare. That is true. That is true. Um, most of the only major capital in Europe that doesn't have a train link to its airport. Uh, Cork Dublin flight though would be brilliant if you're flying out elsewhere. Now there is a thing. There is a thing. With so many people going out to Dublin for their holidays or to start a long trip, long haul trip, getting to Dublin would be would be very handy if you had a plane. But that's the news coming in 2024. We'll, Tony will, will keep us posted on that. 0818 96 96 96. Joe Shea might have a, something to say about that, that flight in a while. But Joe, the editor of Cork Bio and occasional presenter of this year's programme, you have been doing some work. It's kind of become a, a hobby for you, hasn't it? Looking at and collecting the strange names of Cork, Broderick and Daunt and Lorden and, and Shinquin and Gumbleton. Where the heck did you find Gumbleton? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I've, been, I've long been fascinated by this because Cork's very unusual, standing out from the rest of the country in many ways, maybe uh, because of our history as a mercantile port that traded with the, you know, with France, with Spain, going right back to the 13th, 14th century. And also the fact that we had a plantation here, the Munster plantations in the 1580s, since Walter Raleigh and all that. So Walter Raleigh 
rally getting 40,000 acres down in uh, around East Cork and Yall. And uh, they were attracting um, settlers, families coming over, farmers coming over from uh, Wales, from England uh, to settle in Cork. So we have this very high concentration of unusual names from unusual places. Like So there's names that you'd only hear in Cork, like Hodnet would be a great one, Considine, Roycroft, Leader, Arundel or Arundel, uh, there's Goggins, Milers, you know, it, the list Shinquin is a great name. Gumbleton is another great name. Now, I've uh, never come Din- across, I've come across Shinquins. There are doctors called Shinquin um, and they were, I've come across an Arundel, I've come across a De Courcy, yeah. uh, a Hodnet, yeah. I, knew, I knew a couple of Hodnets, uh, Witcherly, but I've never come across a Gumbleton. <laughs> there are apparently still a couple of Gumbletons uh, left down, I think around Manan Bridge, as far as I know. Places like Manan Bridge would be great examples as well. There were these little kind of little kind of plantations of, of, of people who basically were brought in to kind of, you know, to, to in some cases, the Native Irish were pushed out uh, after the Desmond Rebellions. Um the you know hotness is 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 a is a great name. There's also Lombard, which is one that's always fascinated me because we know exactly where Lombard came from, and there's Lombard's town as well. You know near Mallow, and the reason that there are Lombards in Cork is down to a guy called Cambiano Donata del Papa, who who was an Italian. <laughs> exactly, you know him well, Cambiano Donata del Papa. He was a banker and a tax official uh, for for Lum- for Lombardy. Uh, and, and parts in Italy during the Renaissance and he was sent over by a big bank to kind of be a kind of an outpost bank for the trading that was going on between Cork and the continent. This is sometime in the 14th century I think. Mm-hmm. So he he basically he settled here with his family and they became known as the Lombards because they were from Lombardy. And we had Lombardstown because some of them went up and got land around Mallow and established Lombardstown. And there's still Lombards in Cork today. So that's, a, that's, that's one of the kind of weird uh, kind of stories about where these names come from. Sounds like a pizza seller, the original Cambino Donati. <laughs> <laughs> that's gas. That's gas now. Tim, Tim Lombard's yeah. Italian, the senator. He's an Italian by yeah. there's, there's an, it's, 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 it's down to just one family, one guy bringing his family over to be basically kind of a, a foreign exchange in Cork because we had huge trade going on at the time. Why we, we would send out agricultural stuff, you know, hides, butter, everything, and we bring back wine, we'd bring back silks, we'd bring back all that kind of stuff. And they needed a guy in Cork to look after the money. And that's why Cambiano del Papi ended up in uh, being a banker in Cork. Now, Blenner Hassett. I knew a Blenner Hassett once, but he was a doctor in Dublin. There are Blenner Hassetts yeah. in Cork. Blenner Hassett is one of the great Cork and Kerry names. And there's Blenner Hassetts in Cork and there's Blenner Hassetts in Kerry as well. Blenner Hassetts were originally uh, a family from Cumberland in the north of England. Uh, they were brought over to Cork and Kerry during the Elizabethan conquest of Ireland. And they were given 4,000 acres of farmland on the Cork-Kerry border. 4,000 acres. Wow. I mean, that's massive. They were hugely wealth, wealthy and powerful. They owned castles. They had vast estates. But the family kind of fell on hard times and the fortune dissipated and history changed and Ireland became a republic and all that kind of stuff. And the Blenner Hassets, what 
they're, they're still Blennerhasses in Cork, but they, they may be wondering where all the money went. Yeah, the Shinquins. Now, there, there was, yeah. I think there still is a Shinquins pharmacy in, in Clonakilty, but Shinquin was yeah, always associated with medicine. They came from, from Wales? Yeah, they're from Monmouthshire, and they came again, another family that came in the, with the Munster plantations. We often forget that Cork was planted, you know, it was a long time ago, but Cork has a very much a kind of, you know, a, a huge Protestant English population that have been here or were here uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years, since the 1580s, since the Desmond Rebellions, basically. So the Shinquins are from Monmouthshire in Wales. They came, and they came landowners in North and in West, in North Cork and West Cork. The kind of, the family kind of graduated, as you said, towards medicine. And, and there's a long, proud history of Shinquins as doctors in those areas and also as pharmacists. So that's another name that echoes. When you hear that name, as you hear with Gumbleton as well, or, or any of these, many of these great names, yeah. there is, it all goes back to, to the, the, the plantations. If I walked about 10 minutes down the street, I'd get to Daunt Square. Yeah. And who's that name? The Daunt yeah, the Daunts were from Gloucestershire and they were again came <laughs> at around the time of the plantations. Um, huge landowners in the Kinsale area. And there was one guy, and I love his name, Achilles Daunt. Um, in, <laughs> Achilles Daunt, right? In, in, He'd be known as Healy, like. He'd be known as Healy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Achilles. He got he had two thousand acres around Kinsale in the nineteenth century, and uh, descendants of his Joseph O'Neill Daunt became uh, he was the nationalist MP for Mallow, and that's the family that gave their name to Daunt Square on pa- off Patrick Street. Good, good. I tell you, you've got there's one in particular we would have thought, well, they're our own, surely, but the Barrys. Mm. Yeah, Debarra and and a lot of Norman names. And that's even going back, like, we have names going back here to the, like, my my late mother's name was Scannell, Scannell. Yeah. And that's a Viking name. Uh, Broderick is a Viking name from the old Gaelic Brudar, which is from the old Norse, Brudar, which is brother. So Mm. Broderick means brother. So, yeah, you have, uh, sorry, the, the Barras, then we have another, then if you, if you move forward uh, a couple of hundred years from the Vikings, you have the Normans, who, of course, were Norsemen, descendants of the Vikings who took over nor- a part of northern France. So you get names like de Corsi, de Barra, and Barry, and Bar, you know, and, and variations of those. Um, we always thought it was related you know. to St. Finbar, but it's different. No. Different. Yeah. Now, uh, what's yeah. this you tell me, or you see, you write in Cork Bio that we can possibly claim Rihanna as having a Cork yeah. connection? Break this one down for me, Joe. Well, I went to Barbados years and years ago, and I was surprised to learn that there's there's a, a, a there's a kind of a, a tribe of people in sort of the more remote mountainous areas of Barbados, which is a tiny island, which the locals call uh, Redlegs. And they are descendants of Irish uh, indentured servants. So there, there wasn't slavery. It was people who were basically kind of brought out on seven or 12-year contracts to work in Barbados, and they stayed in Barbados. Now, one of those families was called Fenty, which is probably a derivation of Fenton. And people might remember the great hurler John Fenton from, from Middleton yeah. uh, from the 80s. The Fentons are up around Middleton. 
But one of them apparently went to Barbados and he ended up being recorded as Fenty in the way that Irish names got changed a lot, right? And his a direct descendant of that man is Rihanna Fenty. Uh, her father uh, is one of the, the red legs, basically, one of the descendants of the Irish guys. So okay. we can say Middleton can claim Rihanna as 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 a Fenton. So the next time I play a Rihanna song, I can refer to her as one yeah. of our own. Yeah, yeah. Middleton's Rihanna there. Before I let you go, give me the brief on, and I would never again have looked outside of Cork, Considine, John Considine, another great All-Ireland star. Well, Considine is, is an unusual name, and, and we, they think... It's it, that's a kind of one that's shrouded in mystery, and a lot of these are. So what you end up with is kind of theories. But Considine seems to come. One of the theories being is from um, France, a part of the. We also had a huge, um, you know, with the uh, the Huguenots that came here as well. And there's a lot of Huguenot name in Cork because it was a big Huguenot quarter in Cork as well. So that could have been from France, but there are other theories about it as well. Mm. And you have the Goggins. Now, I am a Coogan, as you know. I'm often mistaken right, for yes. a Cogan. But you say that the Cogans and the Goggins, lastly, could be to be tied together. Yeah, uh, again, that's... I th- um Goggins and Coogans, I think that's connections back to, to Wales. And we have a lot of connections back to Wales as well. Uh in Cork because the Welsh came here in numbers after during the, the plantations. They also went to uh, parts of Wicklow as well and people who are familiar with Wicklow will know that if you go up into the mountains there you get some very strange accents up there which are to do with Welsh people that came over. The Welsh also came in huge numbers to Waterford, to parts of Waterford as well. Okay. So that's that's another kind of like echo from history so to speak. Joe, it's it's fascinating actually the names. I know that um, men we both know well, John Creedon has written a wonderful book on place names. I think if you eventually keep this work going, there's a book on on the family names of Cork here because it's it's fascinating. Joe Shea, thank you very much, Joe, the editor of Cork Pure, and we'll be back on this show uh, over the next couple of weeks for a couple of days uh, that I'm taking off. Now, yeah, let's try and find someone. Is there any possibility at all we could find a Gumbleton, right? Because that's the most amazing name. I think it's the most amazing name of all time. Gumbleton. Um, or maybe maybe we could find... Maybe we could find... What? Could we find a Blennerhasset? Or a Shinquin? Or a De Courcy? Let's try and... Or the craziest names. Is there a name, a mad name that you know, or a mad name that you knew someone who had that isn't on that list? Remember a woman rang me one time and her name in front of me on the screen was Colclough, C-O-L-C-L-O-U-G-H. And I said, Mary Colclough, good morning to you. And she said, I have to correct you, it's Coakley. And I goes, what? Yeah. Names, strange things. Thank you, Joe. 0818 Can we find a Gumpleton? Can we possibly find a Gumpleton? Or the last known dwelling place of a Gumpleton. Can we possibly find that? I'll give you the week. Can we find a Gumpleton? 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. 
The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The 96FM Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a non-profit organisation, or if you're involved in a fundraising event, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email your event details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. You are joking me. Henhole? Someone here in Carrigaline claiming that their next-door neighbours were called Henhole. They were Germans, great neighbours, lovely name, Henholes. <laughs> Gumbleton's in Belgrove in Cove. He was famous for growing exotic plants. Uh, there may have been some Gumbleton's in Ballymacoda. If we can find any living Gumbleton's or even recently deceased Gumbleton's. But that's that's going to take some beating before the end of the day. Henhole. 0818 96 96 96. Now, cocaine is a problem. Cocaine is a scourge. It is the drug of choice for so many people. The recreational drug of choice. And it's mainstream. So many people now, part of going out for a Saturday night is to snort a line before they go. And the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs has been meeting over the last while and is likely to suggest the decriminalisation of certain amounts of certain drugs if they're for individual use. But is it time that we should start randomly checking people in their workplace for drugs? Conor Lennon is a former politician and before that a former political correspondent and joins me to, to be writing about this in the Sunday Times, Conor, and you make that point. Maybe it is time to start looking at random drug testing in the workplace and it being part of your day. Good morning. Yes, yes. Well, that's, that's what I would recommend. Uh, certainly that's what I wrote in the Sunday Times. I believe we're we're moving in that direction in any event because uh, random drug testing is conducted on all members of the defence forces. In other words, every member of that organisation can be tested randomly and without warning. Uh, this is also now going to be rolled out in the next few months with the Garda Shikona. And I believe that we should extend that to nurses and doctors and healthcare professionals as well. Because again, you know, patients, it's a life and death situation in many cases. And I think uh, any of your, your listeners would be very disturbed if it emerged, for instance, that uh, medical personnel treating people in vulnerable situations were also overloaded with cocaine or some one of the heavier drugs. So I think there's a logic to this, and it's not as if this doesn't happen elsewhere. In America, companies are perfectly entitled uh, if they sign a, an employee up on a contract that the contract could involve um, yeah, random drug testing, and of course, disciplinary measures could be taken if there's a number of breaches or whatever the it's, protocol it's, it's is. Commonplace, you know? It's commonplace to, for a condition of your work to be that you're never drunk on the premises, never under the influence on the premises. That That's commonplace. But random drug tests, like I come in here on a Monday morning at whatever time I do, seven o'clock, a quarter past seven, and, and someone is there saying, okay, PJ, dipstick, here we go. That you think that's yes, okay? yeah, that's that. Well, that's done in the defence forces, as I said, and it's about to be rolled out in, in the Garda Shikona. I imagine many of the emergency services would eventually be included in this as well, and I believe that certainly health health healthcare professionals, be it doctors or nurses, should be subject to this as well. And I believe that the 
employers, your employer down there in County Sound should have the right, if you've signed a contract to take up employment there with the radio station, they should have a right to say, well, you know, I mean, this can be reasonably interpreted. I mean, obviously, you don't lose all your legal rights. Obviously, things would have to be proved and the testing would have to be proper. Hmm. And then obviously they would have to have a protocol, maybe a three strikes rule that, you know, you, you get warned formally or you get referred to treatment because one of the, the effects of decriminalization that we're now heading down this particular way is that you may in fact have a huge explosion in the, in the level of usage. This implies a huge cost, you know, uh, to everybody in this society, hmm. people presenting it with mental illnesses that they shouldn't be presenting with at a very you, you, young you age. You make the point in your involved. piece in the Times. You make you, you make the point, and, and I'll quote you here, Connor, if I may. No doubt the Assembly will suggest the decriminalisation of the possession of certain amounts of drugs if they're clearly intended for individual use. Where do you stand on that possibility? Well, I think the key point, I think, and I, I, I suspect where the, where the Assembly might be coming from if they are making that recommendation, is that we need to take the crime out of uh, uh, drug use, but we need, at the same time, as a counterweight to that, to discourage people from taking the harder or heavier drugs because they have huge implications for the society, both in mental health terms and in terms of health cost terms and in terms of danger to themselves. So, you know, we've gone a great deal in terms of warning people about cigarette smoking and about alcohol abuse. Uh, but like drugs are quite qualitatively different in terms of, and that's why that gets no accident. For instance, that, you know, we're, we're talking about this primarily now in, in the defense forces where it's already happening mm. and now in the Garda Shikona, you know, so I think that could be extended to the wider society. Mm. I'm not saying it should be done in one fell swoop. I just yeah. think that we need to create a, 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 a not an intolerance, but a, a, a very strong message to the society yeah. that, while we politely call them recreational drugs, they're, I think even the use of the word recreational is, is somewhat misleading. It, it implies it's sort of harmless. It's like you're taking candy or something like that. You know, it's not, it's not that. It, these are hard drugs, not recreational drugs. And they have huge effects on your body, huge effects on your mentality, and, and huge effects, I would say, short to medium term, on your efficiency as an employee and as a parent or as a person who, who's a responsible member of society. In the early days of your... Uh, political career, in fact, as you were seeking election, you you joined some anti-drugs campaigns in 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 Tala, which is part of your your canvas, I suspect, and you learned from them. And how much of that learning is influencing what you feel now? Well, that was so so long ago, and I feel that in the meantime, we we've, we've had lots and lots of debates, publicly and otherwise. Uh, about decriminalisation, taking the crime out of the the picture. You know, some the last time I checked, eighty percent of crime is attributable to drug usage, drug supply, etc. And, and you know, if if we're going to take the crime out of, we also have to take the the dangers out of it at the same time. We can't just simply say everything's going to be decriminalised, everything's going to be available, and it's your own responsibility. When in fact, many of the people who suffer drug addiction end up being treated under state funds. I mean, we, we now state fund people 
who come out of um, or find themselves in an addiction situation. And that is a cost to yeah. taxpayers and to the state and to the society. And so all I'm saying is that by this drug testing, we're sending a very clear message to people that at your peril or at your hazard, engage in, 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 yeah. in, in the use of hard drugs on a repeat or addictive basis, you know, and I think... So you know, you're, 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 you're not opposed, I think. You're not... Maybe I'm wrong. Are you opposed to decriminalisation? I'm, I'm not opposed to it if, if, if we have corresponding preventative measures such as the one that I'm proposing okay. where it is linked to employment. I think it's very, very important that we send a so message. So it would be okay but, for me then, it might be okay for me to snort some coke on a Saturday night that's purely for my own use, but I still would face a, a test on a Monday morning to see if it's still in my system. You could you could have a, a test, and then obviously, if if for instance, let's let's say for instance that that scenario that you've just depicted is the case. Let's say in the next two days, somebody came into the office with the power to do so and said, right, "We're going to random test you." The effect of that would be then is you would have been referred perhaps to a, a doctor nominated by the by by the employer and they'd say, is there a problem here? And, you know, one could have three strike rules or one could have... But the whole message is that, you know, that this isn't very good for you and it is popped up. You are conducting interviews with people on the radio. You have a responsible job. And are, are you sure you don't have a problem with these things? Okay. okay. It's an interesting topic of conversation, Connor. Thank you. For, lastly, can I ask you, because it is a, it's one, I, I don't see it in the article, um, injection centres, they seem to be coming. How do you feel about them? Well, again, anywhere where they're safe, I mean, everybody knows uh, there's a lot of treatment centres around Dublin. I'm sure it's the same situation in Cork. Uh, where no, I mean, no, I mean safe injection spaces. Safe injection spaces. Yeah, I, I have no particular objection to that if they're safe. And again, if it's not causing people to be to be ill or, you know, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to that myself personally. I think all of those things are very positive in terms of uh, taking the, the stigma from being an addict away. But at the same time, we still have to send a, a broader message to the rest of the population that, you know, at your peril, you know, that's why we have the, you know, the health advisories on cigarettes, on alcohol, you know, okay. because they can seriously injure your health. And again, here we need to send a message, you know, these are not equivalent to alcohol or to other uh, lesser types of, if you like, things well, that people there, there engage in. There are those who would so, argue, there are those who would argue, and they'd argue vehemently, that alcohol does more harm in this society than um, the class A drugs put together. Yeah, and, and we have very significant controls over our alcohol. For instance, when you drive a car, you're not allowed to, you know, engage in alcohol now. And we, we've, we've toughened that. And, 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 also, and also, I think, by the way, as far as I know, if somebody is alcoholic in the workplace and it's clearly picked up in the workplace, there is a responsibility on the, on the, the HR people, be it oh. in your own station or wherever, to say, well, look, I think there's a problem here. You're not... If, if I came in here drunk, it's, if I came in here drunk, it's a very serious offence. Absolutely, absolutely. Connor, it's one we'll throw out to listeners to the opinion line. I greatly appreciate that. Connor Lenehan, writing in the, the Sunday Times. So, it seems inevitable. That's his view, that the Citizens' Assembly will come forward and suggest that certain things be decriminalised. Let us imagine they might suggest the decriminalisation of the possession for personal use of a small amount of cocaine. So you go out on Sunday, or Saturday, Sunday, you go out and you do a, a line of cocaine. 
And then Monday morning, your boss can select you for a random test. And Connor, he's saying it's, it's already in the army. It'll come into the Gardaí, healthcare professionals, subjected to mandatory testing, mandatory random testing in our place of employment. That if you go for the decriminalization and the liberalization of our drugs law, for want of a better expression, you need to do that as well. How would you feel about drug tests in the workplace? How would that grab you? I'm delighted with that man that PJ has on now. We're in a very bad place with drugs at present. Ireland is near the top of the league table in the world for drug abuse. It would frighten me to think of a a surgeon or a doctor or anyone like that who had taken cocaine. Fair point. Or a driver taking cocaine. Fair point. Fair point. Your, your thoughts are very welcome. That's We'll podcast that interview afterwards because I think it's a good conversation starter. Conor Lent, look, he, his background is irrelevant here, but he was a former political correspondent on this radio station, actually, many, many years ago. Uh, a junior minister uh, for a number of years. Uh, went on to work I think he was in Moscow for a few years working in the science sector, but now he is writing for the Irish, or the Sunday Times and suggests that if you're going to de- criminalise or liberalise the drugs scene, as may well happen, then you need testing in the workplace. My search is on uh, for a living, breathing Gumbleton. (laughs) I would love to. This is only Tuesday. I would love to find a living, breathing Gumbleton uh, by the end of the week. Because I think it's the, it's it's actually a cute name. I, I think it's a really cute name, Gumbleton. We had a Gumbleton, I think, in Cove at one point. Then Ballymacoda. Uh, I'm told now there was an Eileen Gumbleton in Yall a while back. Uh, there was a Gumbleton, or there are Gumbletons in Ladies Bridge. Tell PJ that. There was a teacher in the primary school in Yall called Miss Gumbleton at one point. She's married since. Sorry, can't spell, says Han. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go, I, I, I would love by the end of the week to speak to a living, breathing Gumbleton, if that's possible at all. 0818 96 96 96. Some more names coming in. I thought we wouldn't be. I thought we wouldn't beat someone who rang in and said they had a neighbour called Henhole. Their neighbours in Carrickline at one stage were called the Henholes. We've beaten her. We've beaten her. <laughs> In a minute. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Now, uh, Heather, where did this happen to you? And when did it happen? Morning. Um, morning, hi. Um, it happened last night around 10pm on the Balancholic link, so Balancholic to Bishopstown direction okay. between Junction 2 and 1. Okay, so you were coming towards town, were you? Yeah, heading, I was heading for Bishopstown, so yeah, okay. back that direction. Okay, and what happened to your car? So um, I was driving, um, so I came off slip 3 and a car was coming off slip 2, so I went into the fast lane. Um, but in the distance, there was a car with hazard lights on, 
So I knew that I had to overtake both cars coming. So I was in the fast lane. But with seeing the hazard lights and driving on the actual lane rather than the hard shoulder, I didn't know what was going on. So I actually reduced my speed from 120 to 100 Mm -hmm. just to watch the car coming fast down the slip as well in case he wanted to overtake first. Um, And as I was driving, um, since the link road's been done as well, the lights, the public lights haven't been put back on the road. So it is quite dark there. Sure. sure. Um, And next thing, I heard a massive bang and I got such a fright. I could feel my steering wheel, you know, like kind of going left and right. Yeah. And I was lucky I had both hands on um, my wheel. I thought someone had hit into the back of me. And I was like, sure, there's no car behind me. And you know, if you go over a speed bump too fast, your car goes up and smashes back down to the ground. Yeah. Um, That's actually what happened. So I hit like a rock, like nearly like, I'd say more like a boulder of a rock on the link road at that time. Did you have to stop? Um, I had to completely slow down because I could feel my steering was off. Um, I was in shock (laughs) because I still hadn't really processed what had happened. And then I was thinking, oh, my God, is that why that guy's hazards is on? Did he just go over it just before me? Yeah. Yeah. I know the part of the road so, that you're talking about. Was it, do you think yeah. it's a stone on the road or a rock on the road or something? I Like, from the massive bang and the, like, the up and the down, it definitely wasn't just, like, a small little rock on the road. Like I said, like I felt like a boulder or, like, a mm. brick was on, like, a like a. Couldn't have been a big pothole, no, no. No, definitely not from the way it was. Like, it's like, you know, I could feel the scrape of my car as well oh, when I was yuck. going over it. Oh, you poor little car. Yeah. yeah. Is there a bridge anywhere near there, Heather, overhead? Um, There is, but I think I was just further than the bridge. Yeah. No, I'm thinking, did someone throw something did off the bridge? Did someone throw? That's, no, that's what I thought when I went home as well, but I was further than the bridge. I don't think someone okay. would have been able to get it as far as it was. Is your car so, like, okay? I suppose... Um, unfortunately, it's not. Um, so, the my wheel has like a bubble on it where it's literally about to pop. Oh God! Um, like if you touch it, like I put pressure on it, it will definitely just go. Um, and the actual metal part of um, my wheel as well is actually dented and coming out. Okay, need to get that seen to. Um, is it, it, it exactly. how old is the car? It's a one five one. Okay. So and I only just got my tires replaced three months oh, no. ago for the NCT. I know. Um, so I suppose my appeal was just to see, like, I surely can't be the only person that that happened to. Yeah. Did any that time it's a busy. Yeah. Well, maybe the person in front of you had their hazard lights on. The same had happened to exactly. them. Exactly. It, it's that's, a fairly, it's a fairly quick stretch of road. That actually happened to me. Uh, it's a while ago now, but twelve months ago, I was driving in the opposite direction as I was heading out towards Ovens, and and yes, it was. Yeah. Whatever was on the road, it just banged off the bottom of my car. It didn't do any damage, but it certainly felt like it did. Yeah, no, because I like that as well. I'm I'm going to bring it to mechanic just to check under my car as well, just in case I can't physically see anything. Yeah. Um, but just because, like I said, I could feel the scrape, and my car did go (sighs) up and over. Sound that doesn't sound healthy at all. No, definitely not. And I suppose as well, like my appeal is as well as that, like, did, was anyone driving? And, you know, trucks and trailers, you know, it's so easy for things to fall well, out. It could have well, fallen off a truck. If yeah. anyone saw yeah. something like that. Yeah. Truck a bit, maybe yeah. a bit of building rubble or whatever on the back of a truck could have fallen off a truck. You you, you exactly, sound like a yeah. very uh, conscientious driver that you were able to remember exactly what you did. Fair play to you, because if you were 
How, how long are you driving, Heather? You sound young, if you don't mind me saying. Um, yeah, no, I'm 26. I'd say I've been driving since I've been 22. Okay, okay, so you have a bit of experience okay. under, your, under your belt. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah. like I said, I felt like if I didn't have both hands on the wheels, yeah. I think I would have lost control of the car completely. Yeah, you were driving, you were driving very consciously and very perceptively. If anyone came across it, they can let us know. Thank you very much. That's Hella Heather coming in from Ballancolic to Bishopstown last evening. Uh, car hits something like a rocker, a boulder of some kind, on the road. Big bang and a scrape. And there's damage done to the wheel and possibly to the undercarriage as well. There was another car with hazard lights on. She's thinking the same might have happened to them. Thanks for that, uh, Heather. 0818969696. Right, there's a Shinquin on the Lee Road. Charles Shinquin. He is an ear, nose, and throat consultant. There's a couple of them actually. Um, there's a Mr. De Courcy, another unusual name in Regina Mundy. Gumbleton's in Ladies Bridge. I, I'm, make, I'm making it my business now by the end of the week to speak to a living breathing Gumbleton. There has to be one somewhere. There has to be one somewhere. Uh, my mother's surname was Takra. Takra. I think it might have been English, says Kate. It could have been Takery. Could have started life as Thackeray and gotten shortened to Takra. Yeah, well, okay. There, all right, I was in school with a Blenner Hassett. I wonder how many Kilgrews are out there. The Kilgrews, famous name in Cork, uh, owners and operators of our oldest bike shop, and they are closing. Uh, Barry O'Donovan uh, is from Kilgrews Cycles. Are there any of the original Kilgrews around, Barry, with us anymore? Good morning. Hi, PJ. Uh, my surname is Kegru. It's Barry Kegru here. So, ah, uh, good man, good man, <laughs> no, good I man. Think. So there is an original Kilgrew left. So How we, many yeah, of you are left? There's a few of us. I have myself and my sisters uh, and a brother. So there's there's four of us left. And the origin of the name? Do you know it? It apparently comes from Cornwall, but you know you get you know family histories and things get changed and all that. So it's apparently from Cornwall originally. Yeah. Whether or not it is, I don't know, but that's yeah. what they say. No, because we were chatting to, to Joe Shea from Cork Bio, and he has this kind oh, yeah, of fascination was... with Cork, Cork names. Yeah. Well, so... some of them were fascinating, weren't they? As, absolutely. I, I, I will find a living, breathing Gumbleton if it kills me before yeah. the end of the week. But Kilgrews is closing, Barry. Yes, I'm retiring. That's the plan of action after 39 years here. 39 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's been great, and I've loved it, and it's been great fun. It's like a good movie or a good book. It's, I've done it, and I've loved it, and I have no regrets, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But now is the right time for me, you know. Now, you inherited it, didn't you? Because it goes no, back, no, it no, goes no, back no. to the when? It goes back to the 30s. Yeah, well, all of us, you see, my, my grandfather would have been in the 1930s in Merchant's Quay. Then my father was in North Main Street in 55. I came down here in 84. So, no, we all had our own, we all did our own little things, but there was no inheriting. Like, there was, well, the name, of course, was passed on, yeah. but I mean, the, 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 the buildings weren't, you know? Yeah, yeah. There were toys there. I, re- I remember Kilgrews yeah. as a kid, there was toys in it. Yes, it was fantastic. The, 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 like, they had all the dinkies and the Hornby train sets and all that, you know? Yeah. It's fabulous, really. You know? are, are people buying bicycles as they used to? Ah, they are. Yeah, 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 they are. And the electric bikes, neither get any more on a PG are getting more and more popular, you know? Mm. That's what people are going to use. They're, they're, uh, that's the future. And they are buying bikes. And people are getting fit and they're more aware of fitness, you know? So that's, that's, that's good, you know? Yeah, the, electric, the electrics are the thing now, though. 
they are, yeah. And that's only going to get bigger and bigger. It makes perfect sense, you know. Yeah. It, for people getting around town, because this city's ideal for it. Because you can't really park, and driving around the city, as you know, is a nightmare. So, yeah, so it's a really good plus. I know that you're retiring, and I wish yeah. you well in your retirement. Thank you. But, but how come you're closing? Well, because I, I, I got an opportunity, and I, I, I decided that I'd sell the building and we'd move on, and mm. that's what it, that's, what, that's the plan of action. There's no, but my, my sons are in college and doing different things. One guy's doing his master's. They're, they're not interested in, in taking on the business. Mm. So it's kind of a, it just works out right at the moment, to be honest with you. Yeah, when was, when was the first, what age were you when you first set foot into a oh, bike shop? God, I'm trying to think back. Somebody, I, I, I said 19 when I was 1980, whatever, but the lads in the area said they remembered me when I was 12 and 13. So do you know what family businesses are like? At Christmas would come along and boxes needed to be broke down and you know what the way it was. Like, so I'd be knocking around in bike shops when I was very, very young. One thing that was very famous about the shop was repairs. You could yes. repair pretty much anything that went yes, wrong with a bike. Yeah, that was that was that's the way it should be. Let's say if you sell something, you should be able to repair it, not to replace it with a new part, new part. You know, actually repair the working part itself, yeah. which is great. Are the modern but, bikes repairable, or are they are they new part jobs? Some of them, sometimes they, with some of the new stuff, you have no choice. Like with the well, one boy with le- with certain levers, you have no choice. You can't re- you can't repair them. You have to replace them because that's the society. If you think how things are now, it's it's, yeah. it's become just replace to put a new one on it's cheaper blah 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 by the mm. time you have somebody done yeah I remember I had a, a bike one time when I was going to, yeah. to school in Cloucester Crease 3 and I had trouble always with the back brakes uh, I had trouble for, for months and, and there was a, there was a great bike shop up in Capwell Road and he did his best for me to be fair but the, yeah, yeah. the problem kept recurring and it was into Kilgrews I went with the bike eventually and it was fixed in half a day Ah, it go. never happened again. <laughs> I don't know what the problem was. It just kept yeah. recurring and kept sticking. Yeah, kept, yeah, yeah. I know kept what you sticking. Mean, yeah. And and in fairness, your man up in up in Capital Road, he's he's gone from us a long time since. He yeah. used to get it get it loosened for me. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And and I left it with him at one point, and he he got it going. It was flying, and about six weeks later, it stuck again. And I was in town. I was actually yeah, in yeah, town yeah. on the bike, and I said, Arab. Blasted! I'm going to go into Kilgrews and see what they'll do. Sure, they had it sort of. Ah, well, that's, that's a good story. Yeah, it's a great. And you story. never had a problem again, of course. Never had a problem. Whatever the hell it was, never yeah. had a problem again. Barry, course, listen. Course. I wish you well in your in your retirement. It'll be sad Thank to see Kilgrews go. And um, will you have a sale at the end? Oh, we are having a sale right now, PJ. So this is your chance to win and get super fit again. <laughs> Those days are gone. I think. Ah, we'll I see, no, we'll no, always keep yourself fit. Keep yourself active. Now is the time to get a bike at a good price, PJ. <laughs> Come in and we look after you. Get rid of that little bit of extra weight that you're carrying at the moment. You were always legendary salesman as well. I'm going to let that last bit go, Barry. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, you messer. Thanks very much. And I wish you well in your your retirement. Barry Kilgrew of Kilgrew's Cycles. Yes, here's a name. I didn't think we'd beat Gumbleton. My mother's name, there's a Hewitt there. No, Hewitt, we can have Hewitts there, Hewitts everywhere. Uh, John Shinquin is a resident of Care Choice in Montanotti, retired army sergeant. Uh, my wife's name says this text, I know where you're from. My wife's name is Clutterbuck. And I never met another one. There can't be too many Clutterbucks around. I have some chance of finding a Gumbleton, but I'm never going to make find another Clutterbuck. That's it. Programme edited by Eamor O'Hay. There's a few of them around. Uh, produced by <laughs> Fergal Barry and... There's a, few of those around too. 
And your podcast's up shortly, and we shall talk to you tomorrow, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM.